So you want to be a filmmaker. You want to direct. You want to make commercials. You want to be successful at it. And you've heard me on the show talk multiple times about the fact that there is no set path. There are no rules that we can follow to be a success. Uh, and the frustrating aspects of this business become management of that, become a big portion of our job, trying to figure out what should I learn? Who should I meet? What should I do next? And I know a lot of you listening to the show are younger filmmakers, younger directors, younger DPs and editors, and, and you guys are all just trying to figure it all out, right? Where do we go, Mike? What should we do? Tell us what to do and we'll do the same thing. And that'll make our lives, we'll, we'll be as successful as you are. <laughs> as successful as I am. What does that fucking mean? Right? Because here's the truth of it. I'm ahead of you, right? A lot of you younger folks, I'm ahead of you. And I'm still feeling that way. What should I do? I'm trying to find focus. What should I work on next? And what's the thing to do? And then we're all processing what is thrown at us when we decide to choose this life. When we decide to go down the path of uncertainty. If there is a path, we decide to like get off the path and sort of walk through the woods and try to figure out, I'm, where do I set up my shop? How do I make this work? It's it's a crazy decision. And I, I know this isn't new content for this show. I know I've talked about this quite a lot. And I try, 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 try hard to uh, instill this understanding into everybody listening to this show. And there's a risk of it coming off sounding negative. Like I, like Mike is just hardened. He's been in the world for a while. He's been in the business for a while. You know, like there's a sense of cynicism and I fight that sense of cynicism consistently. I'm always battling cynicism because cynicism is based upon experience and experience will often show how difficult it is. And when we're doing things in this business, for every 40 things that I pitch, for every 40 things that I try to get done, you know, five get done, right? Let's be real about it. And so today's episode is, uh, I think it accidentally went down this path. And I was just, I just finished doing the recording. Um, and uh, <laughs> I had to. I apologize to my guest today because I think I caught him off guard. Um, and uh, we went into the real, real. Uh, this sh this episode could have been very surface value. Um, and uh, when you start listening to it, the first, I'd say, three, four minutes, it feels like it might be. Uh, and then you hear me just sort of blow it all up. <laughs> Welcome. You are listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? Uh, grab a beer, grab a raincoat for the splatter that happens as we uh, get into it on today's show. Um, today's guest actually wrote to me initially, and uh, he was telling me about uh, his company's experience. They made a uh, film for $1,000 and got into all these amazing film festivals. They also run a very successful commercial company, um, three brothers all working together, which I found fascinating. Um, and uh, they uh, make really great content. Like I, I really enjoy, if you go uh, to their website, 
uh, and I'm going to tell you right now, it is AtomicCity.com. Uh, I am today, on today's episode, I am talking with Taylor Lewis, who is a director and an editor uh, from this company. He's one of the brothers that run this company. This is a company out of Utah. Um, and these are guys that are trying to make it. These are guys that are, uh, you know, doing the hard hustle, trying to run a production company, trying to have a commercial career, and trying to have a filmmaking career. And these guys are what all of us are. These guys are the perfect example of us. And so this is a, a really great episode. And uh, one thing that I noticed is that these guys also offer an online film school. And to be completely transparent with you, that triggered me. That was an initial trigger on me. And if you've been following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy or following the podcast on Instagram at Love of the Process Pod, um, you've noticed some of my posts. You may have caught some of my sometimes cryptic, most of the time not cryptic posts about a lot of these Instagram added uh, online courses. And a lot of them drive me fucking nuts because it's somebody who is there preying upon your insecurity right maybe you're like me and you just lost a bid or you look at your schedule for this week and you realize i gotta go back to the fucking game and i gotta start writing to clients and i gotta start pushing because i don't have anything lined up especially after covid we're all dealing with this right now right and so you do that hard work you write to a bunch of clients that you that you currently have, you send your reels, you send pitches to clients that you would like to work with, and you get a bunch of non-responses, or maybe you get a bunch of, you know, we'll keep, we'll put you on file, or, you know, next time we'll let you guys know, which just feels like a passive pass, you know? And it's fucking frustrating to get those, right? And so you spend an entire week putting this shit out there, and then you're just depressed. Because it instantly, there's no such thing as instant gratification when it comes to this. And, and so do you do the same thing that everybody else does on the planet right now? Which is like, I need to feel good. Do you pick up your phone? Right? And so then you, you go to Instagram, you start scrolling through Instagram. And maybe you're someone that's obsessed with cat videos. And you're like, oh, okay, look how cute that thing is. And you're like, okay, I'm feeling all right. The dopamine rush is like kicking in a little bit. You're like, okay, all right. And maybe you're someone that is like obsessed with barbecue stuff. And you're going through and you're like, oh, fuck, I want to eat that. Oh my God, I'm going to make that. That's really cool, right? And if you're my feed, which is a collection of all those things, because Gina likes to look at her cat stuff on my feed. And I look, like to look at barbecue stuff. And because it's filmmaking, I've got a bunch of filmmakers that I follow. And so as I scroll further down through the feed, I'm like, oh, wow, that's a cool camera crane technique. I could do that. But when am I ever going to convince a client? Okay, keep scrolling. And I keep scrolling and then I see someone else's super sexy curated feed of them posing with a camera in front of a Lamborghini or something. And I'm like, why am I not, why am I not doing that right now? Right? Right? So then you keep scrolling and then an Instagram ad comes by and it's some guy sitting in front of his computer, you know, probably wearing underwear, but you can't see his, you can't see below the waist. And he sits there and he goes, would you like to make six figures? Would you like to get Within three months, would you like to have $100,000? Would you like to get 
the tricks and the tips to get all the major clients, like the clients that I've worked with, boom, and they start running through all the clients and you're like, okay, all right, what does this guy know that I don't know? Right? And so then you continue watching it and it's like, I will give you all of the techniques and tricks that you need to be a successful director, a successful commercial director. And if you sign up for my course, uh, by the time you get through it, in the end, you'll have clients. Sounds like a fucking dream, doesn't it? It sounds too good to be true. Does it not? That's because it is too good to be true. And so I've been around a little bit longer and I sit there. I've been around since before the internet. <laughs> and so I sit there and I see this guy say this shit and I go, if you're so fucking successful, if you have the tricks and the techniques to make this happen, then how do you have the time to sit down in front of your computer and tell me how fucking successful you are? How do you have the time to do that? And then, because I've been asked to do courses, I've had the ideas pitched to me to go through the process of that. Do you realize how much time and effort it takes to make that stuff? To record those videos? to put together a course structure, to put together the supplemental material, the hours, months for you to prep a course, that's months and months and months of unpaid free work that you're doing because you love strangers, right? Because you want to create more competition in the workplace for yourself, right? How does that make any fucking sense? And so then, when you look at it, and I, here's what I do, I dig deep and I go, who is this guy? And then I go, first thing I do, especially if they mention filmmaking in any way, I do an IMDB on this person. Who have they worked with? What actors have they worked with? Have they worked with any major distributors? Has their films got anywhere? Like how much money have they made on their films? That's the first thing. And 99.9% .9 of the time, for any of these things, there is a, there's barely an IMDb listing. And in their IMDb listing, there are commercials listed as if they're films. And believe me, I've got a few of those on my IMDb, so I know what that looks like, okay? So then you look at that and you go, okay. So then you go, all right, well, maybe they're making their cash off of commercials. Maybe that's what they're doing. And so uh, do they have some great commercials? So then you go to their website and you look at his website or her website, and then they do what a lot of folks do. They list, worked with all these giant companies, bam, 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 bam. And they put the logos down on their fucking thing, right? Well, all that takes is for you to do a Google search for whatever company name that is and find it as a logo. And if you're super lazy, do a PNG search for it because it's already got a transparent background. And then you just embed that in your website. For all you know, that company that they're listing on that website, maybe they did an internal video for them. Maybe they did, uh, uh, they were hired to shoot the wedding of the guy that runs that company. You have no fucking idea. So then you go and you look at their reel and you look at their work. And if their work looks great, then you go, ah, all right. All right, there's some experience here. Is it all handheld? Okay. So then 
How big are their crews? How big are the crews that they're working with? If there's dolly play, if there's camera crane play, if there's that stuff, then they're potentially working with union crews. Oh, that's interesting because then I might learn something about what that's like. You see what I'm doing here? It's called detective work. And for many of us, we're in that depressed mode of no one got back to me. I sent out a bunch of stuff. People don't think my work is worth it. No one got back to me. So you're not in the mood to do that detective work. That's not why you're on Instagram. You're not in an Instagram to do that. You're on Instagram to feel better about yourself. And wouldn't it be nice if you could just click that button and spend the 500 or whatever the fuck it is, dollars to have that guy's course and have that do all the hard work for you. That changes everything for you, right? After you sign up for that course, maybe you send out all those emails that you sent out this week and suddenly all those clients are going to get back to you, right? I mean, that's what he's promising in the clickbait fucking ad. You see what I mean? You see, you see the trigger for me? That's a trigger right there. And so when I started to talk to today's guest, um, I had that running in the back of my head the whole fucking time. I'm like, what's the deal? And this is what's great about it. Taylor's really cool. These guys are cool. These guys are really cool dudes. They're very legit. He puts up with me. We break it down. We get to the roots of it all. He's very honest about what he's doing and why he's doing it. And I think you guys are going to enjoy his honesty. And I think you're going to enjoy our conversation because it gets real. This is one of the episodes that I promise to give you guys on the show. And this one sort of came very organically today, um, but it it gets to the realness of this. And I I'm, I can't say this enough. Please, please, please do not take this as cynicism. Please, please, please do not take this as me saying this business is terrible and everything's rough because it's not. This is me just peeling off, peeling off those Instagram filters. This is me getting you out of that fucking mindset of depression. This is trying to give you the tools and give myself the tools at the same time to continue to step forward, to continue to make things in the face of consistent denial, consistent rejection. Does it sound intense? Do I sound intense in this intro? Strap yourselves in and get ready for a very intense episode of In Love With The Process. Um, and uh, before we get into it, like I said, thank you everybody for following me on Instagram. Um, I've been trying to post a lot of cool new stuff. I've been trying to keep you guys up to date on the stuff that we've been working on and put it through a, you know, an unpolished lens, most of it. Uh, and uh, I'll be the first one to tell you when I'm working and when I'm not working and uh, take everything with a grain of salt. Like you may see me post something and go, Mike's been busting his ass. That was probably something I did two years ago. <laughs> Be real about it. As we go through the process of surviving. Um, so yeah, anyway, let's not, deny it. Let's, let's, let's not delay it any further. I'll talk to you guys in the back end. Um, so strap yourselves in for a uh, two-hour-long episode where we get deep. I hang out uh, with my guest today uh, from Atomic City. I'm very excited to introduce you guys to Taylor Lewis. So throw on those noise-canceling headphones, strap in, and enjoy the brand new episode 
of the love of the process. Hey, Taylor, thanks for joining me on the show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Uh, it, it We were just talking about this off air. It feels like a very early Tuesday morning because I was out late last night watching a movie probably about till 1, 1.30. So I apologize for my slowness. I apologize for my deep, sultry voice. Actually, I don't really apologize for that. But You should be thankful for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, how are you this morning? I am great. I have no complaints so far, at least. Where are you from now? I am um, based out of Salt Lake City, Utah. Oh, you're and in I Utah. I grew up okay. in Utah. Oh, all right. Cool. That's very cool. It's like, so here's what I know about Utah, because I've been to Salt Lake. I went there for Sundance once and a fe- I was in Troma Dance once. And okay. it's an interesting space, like a lot of like weird little dry zones for alcohol and booze, uh, a lot of Mormon sort of activity. Is that? Yes. What's your family history with that? Are you are you from Mormon history or are you? Yes. Okay. Very, very much so. I, I don't know how far it goes back, but yeah, most of my family's Mormon. Um, I'm Mormon. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of dry zones. There's a lot of weird things just because of the Mormon religion out here. I'll be honest, it's odd sometimes <laughs> compared to the rest of the world. Like Utah's its like own little ecosystem. It's um, very weird. <laughs> depending on what city you go to, it gets even weirder. Like Utah County, which is like Provo, just an hour, I think, more south of Salt Lake City. Yep. That place is People try to stay clear of that place sometimes. Yeah. No offense to any other Provo watchers, <laughs> listeners, I mean. Um, so uh, that's that's crazy. So you grew up in uh, you, you like a Mormon family, Mormon household, that whole, that whole deal? Yep. Go to church every Sunday and all the other stuff you do as a Mormon. There's just a bunch of other things. <laughs> very, it's a very in-depth, like you, if you're in the religion, you're in it very deep. <laughs> And so why filmmaking? How'd you get into filmmaking? Well, so our story kind of started like our, I like to call it our origin story. I don't know how to best say it other than that. But Mm -hmm. we, so we grew up out of, in a small town, like an hour and hour and a half outside of Salt Lake, just like a very, very small town where there was literally nothing to do. And so me and my brothers, we decided to um, like just go and shoot little movies in our parents' backyard. And we would get gallons and gallons of gasoline and just light stuff on fire <laughs> and do our best not to light each other on fire. Although that did happen one or two times. No one really got hurt, but they were on fire for a couple seconds and it made for a really cool scene. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. so like we started doing that. And after a few years of like doing that in high school, we decided to actually start our first like production company. Mm-hmm. And so we did videos for like the cheerleaders, the football team, the basketball team, we did all their highlight films and 
um, we started doing that and making a little bit of money. And then after high school, we tried to slowly, you know, start our career. And I mean, it took a long, long time because we never went to college. So we didn't know like the ins and outs of filmmaking. And so we just learned by trial and error mm -hmm. and it took us like forever to like find our voice. And after like five or six years of like going at it on our, by ourselves, like we weren't making any money and we're, you know, now like 25, 26 or something and making living out of my living in our mom's house, working out of our mom's basement. Mm -hmm. And our mom gave us a loan to buy our very first like fancy camera. Mm -hmm. So we weren't making much. And so we knew that there needed to be a change. And there's like this local film competition going on down in Salt Lake. And we were like, we need, and the judges for it were kind of some local celebrities as far as filmmakers go. Mm -hmm. And we were like, dude, we need to enter that contest and we need to become best friends with those filmmakers so that we can learn from them. And so we did in that commercial contest. I think we entered like 30 commercials. Mm -hmm. um, and funny story with that. It's like the next, the next year they did this contest, they put a limit on how many commercials someone could submit because of us, because we submitted too many under one name. <laughs> and so they put that limit like five or 10 per person. And then the next year we still submitted the same amount of commercials. We just did it under fake names <laughs> instead. <laughs> um, anyway, so from that, we actually became friends with those filmmakers. We, um, we didn't win the contest the first year. We just, so we, um, but we went up afterwards and like introduced ourselves and like said, Hey, you need to hire us on your set. We need to be, we want to be friends with you guys. And they did. We were PAs on their set production assistants. Yeah. And, um, like we were the grunts of the grunts. Like one time my brother, like this filmmaker, cause he was so busy, like producing this film. He made my brother was like, Hey, I need you to go change the oil in my car. Um, so can you go do that for a few hours? Uh -huh. And so my brother went and changed his oil. That that was his job on set that day. Oh my god! <laughs> and I mean, it, it's funny now. And we're actually we are good friends with the guys, so it's, we have no animosity towards them. Like we still really like them. And the, um, because of this, like us being grunts, they um, actually kind of gave us their our first like chance to shoot a commercial for like a worldwide like multi million dollar ad campaign. Mm -hmm. And from there, like. So they gave us that chance um, and we knocked it out of the park for them. Mm -hmm. And so we started, kept doing more and more commercials for that ad campaign. And that ad campaign, um, after a couple of years, like Amazon some, saw some of those ads and was like, hey, who did that? And they were like, oh, it's the Lewis brothers. Um, and uh, from there, like Amazon became our client. And after our first gig with Amazon, like Jeff Bezos personally emailed us saying that the commercial we did for them was his favorite commercial that Amazon's ever done. Oh, that's a compliment. That's a big yeah. compliment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was really cool. We actually need to frame that email and like put up on a wall. Cause it's kind of cool <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, and like from there, like, um, like just like six months later, um, Jeff Bezos personally told his like, uh, his marketing team mm -hmm. that they need to use us on the Amazon echo, um, launch video. So mm -hmm. he personally recommended, recommended us to shoot that video. And so, yeah, that's kind of like our origin story. And like now after years of doing this and starting out, like probably having five or six years of making zero money and then slowly figuring out how to grow that from making zero to like 
making six figures a year consistently. We've now kind of started transitioning or not transitioning, but building a separate portion of our company where we teach young filmmakers how to do the same thing we did, but just at a faster pace rather than five or six years before you start making money, you can turn around and start making money in six or six or so months. You so, know? so how long have you guys been at this now? How long have you been directing and doing stuff? Oh, we've been doing it. So I'm 30. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm 30. And I've been doing it since I was 16. So 15 or so years. My brothers are a little bit older than me. So they've been doing it for like 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been doing it a really long time. And um, our company's been making money for like, we started doing well for like the last 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. 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 That makes sense. Yeah, because I, I ask, I well, let me be completely transparent. Let me, let me, let me be completely honest about it. I ask that question because there's so much stuff out there right now. There are so many people out there that are starting up like these online film schools, and let me teach you, and let me train you how to do this stuff. And it's so hard, I think, for I know a lot of the listeners of the show, and I, I know a lot of people in general to sort of navigate through this because, um, I. And I'm not saying that you guys are this way, but I, I just think that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people out there that are running courses that I'm like, should you be running courses really? And and then like charging for stuff that I'm like, should you really be charging for that kind of thing? And so, what do you think? At what point did you decide that you guys should teach folks? Like, at what point did you just did you think that you guys have something different to teach people that they can't find somewhere else? You know. Yeah. So that is actually a really good question. It's something I think about a lot um, because at least what I think about other courses out there, and I don't want to bash anyone, like talk badly of them, but like from what I saw, a lot of the online filmmaking courses were taught by filmmakers who they, they don't have, I don't want to say this badly, but I don't know how to say it any better, but like they don't have like as impressive as a client list. Mm-hmm. As like we do, like their client list, they talk about getting people to shoot wedding films or real estate films or mm-hmm. very small, like corporate stuff mm-hmm. where it's just some person seeing an interview in an office building and that's your corporate video you do. And mm-hmm. that's it. They're not going out and shooting like half a million dollar um, commercials for like Amazon or Microsoft they, or DGI. And so we kind of saw that and they're like, yeah, it's good for filmmakers to get out there and learn how to make wedding videos, learn how to make real estate videos, because that's kind of how, if you really want to get into the commercial world, sometimes like doing a wedding video, you can make good money doing that. And that's a good stepping stone to get to the bigger clients later on. Like I know I shot wedding videos when I first started yeah, and no, things like that. Totally, totally. And it seems like at that point, you're you're basically scraping off the bottom of the barrel because I agree with you. There are a lot of folks that are uh, offering up courses for things. And I'm like, how long have you been in the business? You've been in the business for like four years, five years. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're just trying to figure this stuff out right now. Uh, I, I get it. And then there hits this point where with some of those folks, you feel like that's their business model. Their business model isn't necessarily making things. It isn't necessarily trying to find clients and get clients. Their business model is actually, well, let's uh, teach folks and, and let's try to make money off of people on the internet. And you know why I say this stuff, uh, is that I feel like us as filmmakers, 
like you and I as filmmakers, we're consistently preyed upon by, I don't know how else to describe it other than vultures or flies that are circling around us where there are just folks that are, see the desperation that sweats out of most young filmmakers, right? Because we're all incredibly mm -hmm. desperate because the truth of the fucking matter is there's no set path. There's no specific things that you can do right now that will set you up and Amazon will call you for work. Exactly. There's nothing that I could teach you and there's nothing that you could teach you and there's sure as fuck nothing that these uh, sort of like shammy setups can teach you. Because at a certain point, it comes down to, A, you have to be talented. You have to have your time, time in. You have to have time in for this, no matter what. That's the one thing that you can't be sold. That isn't a hack. That isn't an app. Time is something that you can't fucking cheat. And what you get with time is just, I don't want to say clout. It's just experience and it's reputation. And at the end of the day, uh, I don't know if you guys found this when you started to work for Amazon, um, but it's not like you rolled out from underneath that truck or your your brother rolled out from underneath that truck doing an oil change, and suddenly, like two months later or three months later, you guys were working for Amazon. Like you, how much time? What was the time difference there for you? Yeah, and even going with that, I, um, so I'll add on to this. Um, I'll answer your question in just a second, but like with what you're saying, because it made me think of this, is like even though we have like worked with Amazon, we're not we're not millionaires, you know? Right. Like we're not like because we have Amazon as our client, it doesn't mean Nike's knocking down our door. It doesn't mean like every big company in the world is knocking down our door asking us, Hey, you did work for Amazon. You can do work for us. Cause you're really good at what you do. And like, that doesn't mean that you've broken the the glass ceiling and you're made it now. Like we still have struggling months sometimes well, where, well, hold on, like, hold on, hold on. Let me interrupt you. Why yeah. do you think that is? Why do you think you're not getting the, the like, these other giant companies banging on your door? Because you worked for Amazon. Why do you think they're not banging on your door? You know, I don't know. I can't really say exactly what I, if I know the answer. It's just like, there's certain pro, I guess there, like there's certain ways like these big companies go through to find their ad agency to do work for them. Like they go through, like um, they go through a bigger agency who goes through um, agents who rep directors and um, those rep directors get the first chance of doing those Amazon gigs well, or doing, hold on, hold sorry. on. Okay. So dude, and bear with me, like as no, we good. sort of had this conversation, we go back and forth because I think we're tackling something that's interesting here. Mm -hmm. So, um, let me give you a little bit of insight on what I've experienced with this mm -hmm. stuff. <laughs> and I, I, I don't want this to be a downer for anybody listening to this, but the truth of the matter is, is that our business is so fucking oversaturated. There are so many people that want to do what it is that we do. And there are so many people that get into our business um, because they uh, dreamed of making being a filmmaker or they saw something online and they were like, oh, this is pretty simple to do. If I take these courses, if I go through this process of doing this, then I'm thrust into the marketplace. And if I go through the steps of these things, then I'm in a good position to get work. I'm in a good position to do this sort of stuff. Um, but 
you're part of however many other people signed up for that course at the same time. However, other many people got that ad on, on Instagram or on Facebook feed, and they went through the process of doing that. So you're coming out of that course structure with the same template that everybody else has with the hopes into that marketplace of trying to make cash. Now, what a lot of folks don't realize is that this currently, our marketplace, whether you're talking about uh, corporate video, or if you're talking about commercials, or if you're talking about photography, is controlled by the clients. It is a client-controlled marketplace right now because they know that there are so many of us trying to get in, trying to stay afloat, and trying to survive. So there's so many fucking options out there. Do you agree with me on that? Oh yeah, I totally agree with you. There's like, there's so many avenues to, um, like quote unquote, like make it in this business. There's so many, there's so many different ways, like you were saying earlier, and there's not just one path. Like you follow this path, you're going to get Amazon as a client. It's more or less, um, just trying to take all these tools that you've learned over throughout your life of, through experience of how to communicate with clients and how to deal with clients that can eventually land you the major high paying client that you've always been hoping for. I, I like that. I like that in theory. Yeah. <laughs> and I, this is what I, let's go back and forth on this episode because I'm, I really want to sort of crack this open because this mm -hmm. is a, this is a serious question that a lot of folks have. I get asked this question fucking daily. I have people running to me daily going like, how do I get in? What is the method? What is the process? And like, I, I think we should just drill this home in this episode that just because you just because you know how to shoot something great just because you know how to expose something with a camera just because you know how to edit something does not in any way guarantee that you're going to get work it does not and here's what's even here's what's even more heartbreaking about the process that you have to go through as a filmmaker uh you might be the fucking best at it you might also be someone that that shoots for Amazon and goes through the process of Amazon stuff. Then you're thrust into the politics, the internal politics and the reality of what's happening. I think a lot of people don't realize that one of our biggest, if you're an outside director, one of our biggest competitors right now are people that are coming out of agencies. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of creative directors and there's a lot of folks that are in agencies that are getting too old to be working for that agency because there's an age cap with agencies. So like if you're a creative director and you start to cross into the 30s and into the 40s, I don't know many creative directors that are above 40 at this point, you either A, become too expensive for the creative agency or B, you're suddenly considered too old and not part of the youth. And so these folks are hitting a point in their career where they're like, I'm going to do something. I'm going to be a director. This is, this is a real deal. And mm -hmm. so now you have all these uh, past creative directors that are now going, well, I'm just going to be a director. And I have a lot of creative directors writing to me, asking me tips on how to be a director. And I'm like, dude, I've been doing this for 20-something years. <laughs> I've been sit, like literally a director for 20-something years. I can't give you like a course. I can't give you something that is going to cheat on the amount of time and energy that an experience that was put into that kind of thing. But what they have over me is a relationship directly with that agency. And they were also the ones that were in charge of hiring directors and at the same token, dealing with their clients. And so they know how to package themselves 
in a very specific way, which will get the work faster than we'll get the work from being on the outside. And the myth, and I, I'll let you in in a sec. I'm sorry if I'm no, ranting. You're good. No, and, you're good. And the myth that if you get signed by a production company, you're going to get a ton of work. That is no longer the fucking case for two reasons. One, production companies don't physically send you a contract anymore. You don't get signed by a production company. They come to you and say, hey, can we put your work on our website? And can we put you in for a few of these jobs? And if you get that job, then we'll, we'll continue to work together and we'll take a percentage and we'll go through that whole process. But the production companies also understand that it's a crapshoot. And these guys are trying to stay in existence. So they're finding as many directors that they find online or find on Instagram. They pull them in there. They put together a stack of treatments for every job and they cross their fingers and they'll go with whatever works. And so that's the reality of the business that we're in right now. And I think it's important that we don't sugarcoat that. I think it's important that we are not saying stuff like, hey, look, if you go through the process of taking this course and you go through the process of doing this thing, then it's putting you in a better position for work. To a certain extent it is, but no matter what, time is what gets you into that position. Finding your way in and understanding how these businesses work does. Is this like, <laughs> am I just fucking everything up on this podcast today by saying these things with you, man? Like, what's your thought process? You like, God damn it. Why did I say yes to being on the show today? <laughs> no, I, what I, I really actually like, I like what you're saying. Cause the biggest thing that I think people like you're trying, what you're saying, people try to sugarcoat it to make it seem like, um, you, how do I put this? That, uh, I, they make it sound too easy. Yes. Um, and I like, and I mean, there's a level of trying to help people, like encourage people and be like, yeah, you can do it. You can do this. Like, this is the, like you learn how to tell a story. You can, you'll make good, like cinematic videos or whatever. And, um, there's a level of doing that, but then there's a level of being honest, like, Hey, working with a client kind of sucks sometimes. And getting your dream client is not as easy as like, everyone makes it sound because there's everyone that has their origin story. Mm -hmm. Like, like I just said, I laid it out very simply where it sounded like within five years of me starting my company, I was making six figures where it really wasn't that it was, um, it took a lot of hard work. There was a lot of times where I'm like, I think I should quit. I should go get a nine to five and, mm -hmm. yeah, and dude. do that because I'm not going to make money. Like there was one point in our career where, um, my brother Burke. So I work with three of my brothers, my brother, Rhett, my brother Burke, and then there's me. So <laughs> there's three of us. That's, that's fun. That must get a little weird. Like the, like not only you guys partners, but you're also like family partners. So that yeah, can... it, it's a love hate relationship sometimes. <laughs> not going to lie. But, uh -huh. I mean, you, you have your ups, you have your downs and it's, it's some, maybe sometimes it's easier to work through it with family because you can get annoyed at them and just move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. For sure. Um, but like there was a time in the company, like early on where like, um, where we were like, Rhett stayed in the company and kind of took them like, because he was married. And so he took like the profits of our company to fund his life. And Burke and I had to go get a different job elsewhere mm -hmm. because we didn't have enough money to support three people. Yeah. And so we were legit like starving. I think my brother, my, my brother Rhett was on food stamps for a while and like, and he was living in like low income housing and, and things like that. And so it was like hard. Yeah. Dude. And, 
um, it took in, even after we got like that first client, we're like, we got on that multi-million dollar ad campaign. Like even then we were still like, yeah, we started making money, but even then they were still kind of paying us dirt for the first year or so. Of course. And so it just like took a while for us to finally not break the glass ceiling, but like get to where we're now every year we land at a comfortable position. Let me, um, let me ask you this. Why do you think, so you get, you get with that larger company. Why do you think you were getting paid dirt in the beginning? Um, I think the, cause of the biggest thing is that we were, we were nobodies. Cause that's the biggest thing in the film industry. Like it's really hard for the film industry to dr- to trust somebody who's never made anything before. Even if you've made like a spec ad or you made a, made a, like a few like, um, travel videos, like that's set to pretty music and like the cinematic look that you see on YouTube all the time that people are quoting. Um, like even if you make a video like that, like if you've never made something for a client, an actual real client, um, you're an unknown and people have a hard time trust something, trusting somebody they've never actually seen out in the wild. And so it takes a while for that to happen. I agree with you. I agree with you. And let me, let me stack on that too. Let me, let me, let me further open that. I've had conversations with folks, whether it's in the music world, uh, whether it's for music videos or I've been in the room for conversations from large, like companies that make ads for um, Super Bowl, okay? Mm-hmm. Like large companies. And so I understand what the process for, for a lot of these clients are. It isn't always that they don't trust you. It's that they know that they can leverage the fact that you don't have experience. Yeah, and that so th- that's a big portion of it. Like, I, okay, for instance, right? I'll give, I'm not going to give any company names because I want to fuck myself. But mm-hmm. uh, I've done work for, in, when I was younger, I would do work in the mindset of all I need is an opportunity to get in there and prove myself. Because I would always have, I would project what I would do as a client on what my clients would do. So in my mind, it would be, it would be like, well, I don't really know who I am. And part of that is because I'm, I'm also feeling insecure about my own work, right? Because I haven't been in this business long enough. Yeah. So I'm also projecting that on this projection, right? So I'm sitting there going, well, I, I understand. I, I, I like what you do. You seem very uh, passionate about what it is that you do for work, but you just haven't been doing it long enough. You haven't sort of proven this track record. So as a client, what I'll do is this. I'll give you the opportunity to come in and work with us which is great because you should feel good about this because if I didn't give you the opportunity to come do this, then you wouldn't have the opportunity to come do this because you really haven't, you don't have enough stuff on your reel or you don't have enough experience. So this is a good opportunity for you, which that sentence you're going to hear, I still hear it 20 something years into my business. So this is a great opportunity for you. Okay, great. So then you go in there and they go, all right, so we we can't put a lot of money towards this because you really haven't proven your stuff. So can you make this work? And so from a young filmmaker's perspective on the outside, you go, this is fucking great. Like I didn't, I never thought that I would have the opportunity to do, they're giving me the opportunity to do this. Do you see the mindset that you're going into mm-hmm. at this point? And, and so then you go do this gig and you, you put everything into it, right? Because you need to impress them. And they, they don't have enough money, apparently don't have enough money for, for basic things. Most of the time it's for you, 
right? Because they give you a certain amount of cash, but they're like, you're going to have to trim out uh, your business profits. You're going to have to trim out your rates to make this work. And so then you're like, fuck, I got to get the most expensive cameras on the market. I got to get all these details and toys that they need. They need like five client monitors and like 40 fucking chairs to put behind these client monitors and go through this whole process. I'll take that out of my money because this is the opportunity that I'm going to get for this piece, right? And so mm -hmm. you go through the process of doing this. You, you knock it out of the fucking park, right? So you make something. They handed you, I don't know, let's pretend. They handed you $15,000. You make it look like it's sixty-five, seventy-five, maybe even a hundred thousand dollars with everything that you've pulled into this bit, and you knock it out of the park, and the client's fucking super happy. You're super happy. You shake hands, and you're like, "Yes, I can't wait to do the next thing." Right? So yeah, then, and they come at you with the same budget. They not only do they come at you with the same budget, but I've been in this position before, where I then go back to that client, and I know that client's going to do stuff for the Super Bowl. And so I will reach out to that client and say, hey, I'm excited. You love what we did before. And they go, yeah, we love what you did before. And I go, okay, great. So put me in for the Super Bowl. Let me just write for it. Let me just write for the thing. And they have blatantly said to me, because I'm friends with them, blatantly said to me, why would we do that when we could afford David Fincher? So you're never going to be David Fincher. And so then what you've done is you've established with this client a track record in which you're the cheaper chicken. So what they do is they keep you in their back pocket to either test stuff because you know that they had enough money for, for the larger thing before. So maybe they'll do two or three different campaigns and you'll just be the cheap campaign. Or when they have to do a triple bid, they throw you into that triple bid and you go through the whole process of writing for it just so that they can get the person that they want to come down in price. And I know this sounds incredibly fucking depressing, <laughs> but I, I think it's important that we understand this stuff. And the only way I was able to understand this stuff is time in. And so the lessons that you learn from this is don't do shit fucking cheap. Always put yourself, uh, price yourself adequately, overcharge for yourself, understanding that they're going to want you to cut 30%, 40% off of that so that you're still making a rate and doing all this stuff. And these are things that I don't see on any list of any training video course online. People don't talk about this shit. Do you agree with me on any of this stuff? No, I do agree with you. I mean, I have some um, opinions of myself where it's like, so doing things for like cheap. So let's say, let's, for example, that first company we got in, involved with where like the first ad, like multimillion ad, ad campaign we were able to do, mm -hmm. um, we... So we started doing things for cheap for them. And now um, we, over the years, like we've learned through trial and error, because like sometimes it didn't work. We've gotten to kind of arguments with this specific client because mm -hmm. um, we've had experiences like you. It's like they go to the more expensive people because they can afford it, but then they pay us the dirt cheaper um, mm -hmm. prices because- that's what we're, that, that's what they know we, they can get us for that. Mm -hmm. And so over the years we've been able, we've slowly been able to transition that client to be one of our high, highest paying clients. So like, how'd you before, make, how'd you make that transition? It, it just came through having, being open and willing to have the awkward conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, and just being like, uh, so like for a few years, it took us a while, like we would do everything for cheap. And then we're like, guys, we can't keep doing it for this. Like we put, a, we were giving you a deal. We need to start giving you like our actual day rate. 
And so then we increased because we would do like there were a lot of like menu doc, mini documentaries that we were doing for them. Mm-hmm. And so our first ones, we would do each one for a thousand dollars. It was a three minute edit and plus like two to three days of shooting wherever they would fly us out to. My God, you must have made no money on those. Yeah, we yeah. made like none. But like yeah. it was amazing because we went from making, you know, like a hundred dollars per shoot to a thousand and we would do we could bust out. I don't know, three of those a month. And so we were making three grand a month and it was amazing for us for the first time ever, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we slowly, slowly transitioned those to probably like, I don't know, you know, $5,000. We slowly worked our way up to there. And then we worked our way to a few, like a couple of years ago, like a mini documentary was, we were charging 25 grand for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just recently that company, like they're, like their day rate for us is like 10 K mm-hmm. now. And like it used to, we were doing gigs for a thousand dollars for that's two days of shooting, two days of travel, and then like a week and a half of editing for a grand. And now our day rate for one day of just shooting and we are not doing any editing on the project. And all the shoot is, is just having a guy read off a teleprompter. So it's really no work for us. And it's like 10 grand a day. That's good. Um, That's good. And it came from having like, so like, yeah, you, it's hard. You don't want to like underbid yourself when you first find a client, but then also sometimes if you're able to um, start at a low bid and are willing to have those awkward conversations that potentially may lose yourself, the client and work yourself up to like getting paid an actual rate in a, a good rate, then it's, yeah. Like we've been able to do that with certain parts of our, some of our clients. That's good. I mean, I think here, here's, cause I've talked about this before. I think I've had other episodes about this for sure. Um, what happens is the desperation that I think a lot of this came with the digital revolution, right? So we mm-hmm. had, we had the fact that uh, gear was suddenly going from being pro to prosumer, which was a business change, like a business uh, plan change for a lot of these manufacturers, where they were like, look, we make a lot of money selling to pros, but we'll make (laughs) triple the cash if we're making these cameras inexpensive and cheaper, and we bring the rates down, and we call them prosumer rigs. And so that really opened up the doors for a lot of folks to make great films, have access to this gear, but also floodgated the industry, really Mm -hmm. did, with a lot of folks that prior to this, and bear with me, prior to this, if you were talking in the 90s, if you're talking about the heyday of music videos, if you're talking the heyday of really of advertising, as far as like directors getting paid for advertising, um, there you were repped by larger companies and those larger companies were making a percentage, a good percentage per job for this stuff. And so it was in their best interest to make sure that they were marketing you and selling you at a good rate because they're making a percentage of all that stuff as they go through the process of that. So Mm -hmm. as this gatekeeping sort of opens and everybody has access to great cameras, everybody has access to great stuff, we suddenly don't have those individuals in between us and the client, which is a good thing and a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's a good thing because you're like, well, I can put in for more jobs and I can be more uh, proactive on how I sell my work. 
that's really great. But then you don't have the protection between you and that client, which sometimes can get sticky where you have to talk business, you have to talk price, you have to talk all that stuff. And then you also have to talk creative and you also have to be the personality that they're trying to hire on set at the same time, which is tough, right? Yeah. And so what that did is that just brought desperation into the marketplace. And so folks were just doing shit as cheap as they possibly could. Cheap, 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 which then brought down all the rates on everything else. And it, it literally, if you're talking into the 90s and the 2000s, you could have a career, a great career as a music video. It's a hobby these days. You can't have, a, there are a lot of like outliers in this position, but you can't have a career as a music video director anymore. That can't be your only source of income because of the desperate generation that was kind of my generation that were coming after the Mark Romanex and everybody else sort of going into that business and just going like, I'll do it for a grand. I'll do it for two, for two grand. And then you start talking to the labels and the labels are like, well, why am I going to hire you, dude? You cost 25000 a day just for the director's rate when I can make three music videos on that because of how desperate the fucking marketplace is. Yeah. You and know what I mean? I mean, like with that too, like for an example, like um, here in a little bit, we're shooting a music, music video for just this smaller time artist and he's paying, it's not even close to our day rate. Like we have a whole day of shooting and the edit that's going to cost under fifteen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's like, we're this one, this is one of those things where it's like, yeah, we're doing this guy a favor because we know him and, and things like that. But like, that's the type of the world that we're in. Like we do gigs for Amazon for half a million dollars, but then turn around and do some gigs for under 15 for some music video, music artist. And it's just kind of it, the game, the digital age has like really kind of changed the game. Like you're saying, like it's, you have to hustle a lot more sometimes. You got to hustle a lot more all the time. Like, yeah. like th there's no point in time where you're not hustling. It, there's, sure. there's no, and <clears throat> I don't want, look, I, I want to frame this in the right context. I don't want this to be a downer. I don't want you guys to see this as me just going like the business sucks. Cause I don't think the business sucks. I think there's a lot of really great stuff about this business, but we got to fucking peel off this fucking sugar coating, man. We have to peel off this, like, if you go through this process, if you take this course, if you do this thing, then you're going to have the skills that you need to have an exciting career in filmmaking, and it's going to be great. It's <laughs> You're going to have the skills you need to have a stressful, anxiety-fueled, constant battle in this career of filmmaking. And it, you, if you love making things, if you genuinely love making pieces and you're not getting in this business to get rich, then uh, welcome, enjoy it, kick back and, in, and go through the process of, of getting your ass handed to you and then on occasion doing something that's fucking amazing that makes it all worth it, you know? Yeah, I totally agree with that. Like, and that's kind of, kind of going back to a question you like had earlier about like, and you kind of talked, touched on it right there where it's like, the reason why we wanted to create this online community um, for people to learn the the basic skills of how to be a filmmaker and and things like that is that we saw out there that all those people, all the other courses were just teaching people the bare minimum of how to make a wedding video or how to make real estate videos and stuff like that. And we saw that like we have experience of working with these big time clients 
and we have this experience and we know that there are times that it kind of sucks to do this job. And so we saw that we didn't want to sugarcoat it. And so we do our best inside the course to teach. Like it's not, we don't want to like stop our production company ever. Like, cause we love what we do. We want to make films and we're working on our, our next, I think we're working on a short right now. My brother sent me the script yesterday. Oh, fuck yeah. Man. And, and so it's like our main job is our commercial film company and our actual film company where we make features and stuff. And on the side, we're making this course to help people learn as we are learning in this industry right now. And we kind of update it with things where it's like, where we learn something new about a client that we've never learned before. We'll make a video about that. Like we have videos on there and how we were able to negotiate a higher rate, higher day rate from that one company I explained earlier and, and things like that. Like we want it to be real. We want it to be like, you know, sometimes working with a client, it's not fun because they ask for really dumb things on the script, but you do it anyway because that's your job. Yeah. Type yeah. of thing. Well, that's cool, man. And let me ask you this question, because I've I've been approached uh a bunch of times to to do courses and to do all that stuff. Where do you find the fucking time? Like if, if, if you guys are doing commercials and you're doing short films and you're doing all that stuff, where do you find the fucking time to do a course system? Because that in itself is a fucking job. You know what I mean? Like, like that in itself is a production that, that requires a lot of fucking energy and time. Um, well, I'll tell you 2020 really helped us be able to make it. Yeah. <laughs> Cause like just like the first three months of 2020, when it was like all straight up lockdown that mm-hmm. like, cause we've been wanting to do this for a long time. Cause these online film courses, uh, online film courses has been around for, I don't know, probably, close to 10 years almost i feel like maybe not maybe oh, like seven. dude and then I before that it was books you know before yeah. that it was like you know i read robert rodriguez's like rebel without a crew like five times when i went to film school so like yeah 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 keep going yeah and so like when 2020 hit we we're like hey this is our time let's just do it let's sit down buckle down write these scripts shoot these videos and i think in three months i we made 70 plus videos, had a whole site up and had commercials going. And so then now we kind of slowly build up the videos every once in a while when we have a spare moment to go and shoot one. Yeah. Um, and then we like answer people's questions when they send us emails and cause they have like our email addresses so we can kind of mentor them with personal questions that they have. Um, and so 2020 really helped that. And like, since our job started picking up like the middle of 2020. Um, and so that's kind of when we stopped me like really pushing out a ton of gear, um, videos all the time. And when it went more slowly, like one every month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that kind of helps us too, is that there's three of us in our company mm-hmm. and the way we've kind of structured our company is that each one of us kind of has a department that they're over. Mm-hmm. Like, um, when, So like if I bring a client on, like I'm in charge of that client and I kind of run that production or like, and things like that. So my brother, Rhett, he kind of has most of our clients where he kind of runs the commercial type of show. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my my brother, Burke, he has a few clients and he also helps me with the online course every once in a while. And then I'm in charge of some clients, but also more of a head of this online, online course thing. Online course thing, yeah. And so then we kind of like disperse the weight of the production company, the film production company, and our online course between the three of us. And it kind of helps us be able to do that. Yeah. And there must be like, 
it must help you as far as income is concerned and profit to be able to support the company. Like the online course must must be a, a, an aid for that, correct? Yeah, and that's another reason why we made it. Like, I don't want to sugarcoat that either. Like, we made an online course because it's a profitable thing to do. Yep. Um, but it's also a thing where it's not like we're not just money hungry. We do want to help other people like sure. learn things because starting out when you don't like because we didn't have enough money for film school. Like, it's freaking expensive and we grew up in that small town in northern utah and like our parents didn't have money to afford us going to college anyway and so it's like it's kind of in between of like learning on youtube which there's just a lot of garbage on youtube and mm-hmm. going to film school which is helpful but also sometimes maybe traditional college is not as helpful as it could be. Oh, dude, I've got, our, I've got my own opinions on that too. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so like our course is kind of like that in between where it's like, this is like online videos, very catered to teach a nobody to learn how to be an intermediate filmmaker yep. and the process of how going of like just learning the craft of how to use a camera, how to tell good stories and then helpful tips and tricks on how to like find business because they are tips and tricks on how to find business. It's not follow my proven formula and you'll make six figures in six months that there's nothing, like you said, there's no proven formula on how to make six figures. It is trial and error and a lot of luck. Yeah, dude, a lot of luck. And look, I appreciate you being transparent about it. I mean, there's, that's that's good that you're being transparent about the fact that like this helps supplement your business. This is this is an important part of that because um, I think it, like a lot of folks would ask me the same question, right? Like, why do I do this fucking podcast? Like, why do I go through the process of doing this every week? Um, and the unselfish, well, actually, the unsugarcoated reason for it is 100% access. Like 100%, I get to meet folks that I would never get to meet. I get to have people on the show and communicate with crew members that I want to work with, communicate with folks that I would, in other situations, have to go through the insane management agent system and chain to be able to even have a conversation with them, maybe about shooting a movie or doing something. But if I do Mm -hmm. a podcast, I actually have an hour and a half, two and a half hour conversation with these people. Um, and they want to do it because I'm like, come on the show and we'll talk about how great you are. (laughs) Yeah. And it's such a, it's such a less like confrontational way. It's like, Hey, I just want to talk to you about your career and how cool you are. And they're like, yeah, I totally want to do that. And it's not like, Hey, can you come work on my film? And then a lot of people sometimes like, I feel like they're like turned off towards that. Like if you say, I have a script, I want you to read it. They're like, Whoa dude, that's, that's a breach of our friendship right there. Right. I mean, cause reading a script is a task. And so it's, yeah. it's a pretty big ask, especially if you're asking someone to read a feature, um, mm-hmm. and they don't know your work, you know, that's a really hard ask. Um, but yeah, dude. And, and then it comes down to like, for this show, this show doesn't make much, it never really made much money. And so I, I had to try to figure out a way to do the production on this thing that was fast and efficient. That's why I don't do video. It's fast mm-hmm. and efficient. It's quick. It goes through the process. I can get it done in a day. And then it really doesn't disrupt uh, my other job, which is my full-time job directing and doing everything else. And yeah. so I want to be 100% transparent with folks about this stuff. And I think it's great that you are too, because they need to understand that this business is so difficult that when you see folks that are selling like LUTs and you see people that are selling like plugins or 
or all these other things, it's because they need to supplement their business income. And mm -hmm. if they're if they're not honest about that, then you're selling a dishonest thing to the people that are buying that stuff where they're like, this will change your life. This will get your work. This will get your shit. It's like, well, no, no, no. The people that are doing this and that are selling you this thing need the income because they're mm -hmm. having trouble the same way that I'm having trouble getting money in this business and getting clients in this business. You know what yeah, I mean? And that doesn't, and that doesn't mean you're a bad person no, either. It's not like, at all. Not at all. Like you're still a great person. You're just trying to like, everyone's trying to make money and you can go about it either being a jerk or you can go about it like <laughs> yeah. being a nice person and still making money. Like I'm a nice person. I want to put a podcast on because it might bring in some income and it might make me some really, and it will make me some pretty good connections. Yep. And then on the back end, it's going to help people because they're going to learn something from these conversations. I, I get that from you. I think you're a nice person. I think you have all the, the best intentions in mind. So believe me, I just want to be hundred percent forthright about this. When I talk about the, what I call snake oil salesman, this isn't you. These are other folks that are out there that I can just, you, you know, you meet that guy who like makes a bunch of money on crypto or something. And he's just constantly looking for that fucking angle. And it's like, what do you do? Well, you've never made anything. And suddenly you're teaching me how to do this. And you're like, why are you teaching me how to do this? Because you had some, you hired a couple of filmmakers to make you a super shiny fucking uh, advertisement that caught my eye and my insecurities and played to my insecurities. Maybe that ad ran at the end of the month when rent is due and I don't have any fucking money. And so then I see this thing and I give you my rent money with the hopes that it's an investment for my future and it doesn't do shit for me. That's the kind of stuff that I'm like trying to warn my audience against that exists out there because- yeah. It exists on such a huge fucking level, you know? Yeah. And like, that's something, yeah, I, I totally feel you about that. Like, I just don't like the, the facade of like, you are just the, the next big thing. You are like, you're the most amazing person on the planet. Me and my brothers always try to, whenever, like, whether it be on set or, in our course or whatever, we always try to be real. Like that's one of the things that our clients like love about us is that our sets are fun. They're we're down to earth people and that we don't have all that. Just, we don't play the game type of thing. We're just real about how we do stuff. And I think people really tend to gravitate towards that about us. And that's why one of our biggest ways that we've made like our living is through word of mouth and our networking ability. Mm -hmm. And like, just how mm -hmm. I explained, that's how we got Amazon. And like our clients refer us all the time because they know we are good to work with and they like working with us. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to refer us to other, they've referred us to other people that then those people now love us, you know? And it's kind of one of our biggest things is like, be a good person and, and, it's not like a foolproof plan, obviously it falls through a lot of the time, but like <laughs> yeah, it's really helped us create a, like, like a, a good business. Cause we're just like best friends with our clients. Like we go out to dinner with them. Some of our clients are good friends with their mom. Like they message on Facebook all the time. <laughs> like funny. it's a true thing. Like our, our client will send pictures of us on trips to our parents <laughs> and my mom eats it up. Like, it. uh, she loves it. I love In it, fact, man. she'll probably be the first listener of this podcast when it goes live. <laughs> I mean, you guys sound really cool, man. And the work that you do, I mean, I, I, I feel bad because you caught me 
the truth of the matter is, is that like, there's just so much of this shit out there and I get incredibly frustrated with it because I see the praying process of it. Like you'll see those ads mm -hmm. where it's like, do you want to make six figures tomorrow? Like sign up for this course and I will teach you how to get the clients in, in like 30 days or 60 days. You'll have the tools that you need to score giant clients. And you're just like, why are you not working with those clients right now? Why are you exactly? Why are you making this? You spent a lot of time and money making this fucking trailer to teach me about. You're supposed to have no time with what you're selling me, with the skills that I'm supposedly going to get from this course. I'm not going to have time to make that fucking trailer and post it on fucking <laughs> on Instagram. Yeah, and if sell you're making it to six you. figures every other week, why are you making an online course? Type Can of thing. Give me a break, bro. You I, know what I mean? I think we even have like a. I made a commercial once. Um, I can't remember how well it did that played on Instagram. It's like, my first line is like, have you seen those online courses that say, follow my proven formula and you'll make six figures. <laughs> and it's just like, cause that's all, all it is. And I know I've even used that sometimes. Cause it's like a, it's a hook. It's a, it's, it's a catchy thing. It's clickbait. It gets people in there. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, I hope when people like, you have to kind of do that sometimes with ads and I understand that. But then I hope people can see like when they, get in there, see some of our training, see our work and see that, you know, these guys, they're going to do their best to be as real as possible. They're not going to try to sell you a product that's crappy. They're not going to try to, to sugarcoat everything to where, make it look like it's sunshine and rainbows on the other side, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And cause I just want to be real to people and I want to be, I want to help people out and I want to while also making uh, some money on the side for my company to help me out sure. type of thing. Of course, know? of course, of course. That transparency is worth its weight. Cause then, mm -hmm. then you're getting, at least for me, that, that transparency works as weight. Cause I, I don't want to feel like a fucking sleazy. You know what I mean? Like since the dawn of time, like there was a guy running around with like, you know, potion that he was, you know, going to heal the fucking black plague. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And everybody's like, Oh God, the black plague. It's the same shit where everybody's like, Oh, I don't know how to make money at this. And I, I can't get over that hump of charging. What it is, is it's your insecurities. And I think the, the thing that is the most valuable thing to learn. And you can disagree with me on this if you want, but mm -hmm. um, the most valuable thing that you can learn as a filmmaker or as an artist, as a musician, as a chef, whatever the fuck it is you want to do is spending the time understanding. And I say this since the show fucking started, expect it to take eight years before anybody gives a shit about you. And so the earlier you start, the better you are. Cause if you're doing this in your young twenties, uh, you can be living at your parents' house. You can get support from your family if you have that sort of support. You can uh, team up with kids that you went to school with and all rent a place together and have five, six people, all fucking roommates that are filmmakers. And you can really burn through a good three or four of those years. Uh, I don't want to say stress-free, but as far as like the overall stress of like having a family and needing to bring in that kind of money, that's not there yet. So you can burn through those years of just learning your tricks and your techniques and maybe taking your course and going through the process of learning how to get a camera to work right and doing all that stuff. And then here's the key. Here's the fucking key. If you're going to do cheap work, do it. Research who the company is. Research how much money they make. Research how much money they're potentially going to make off of whatever your work is. And then if they're going to make a lot of money off of it, don't do it for them. 
Go do it for your friend's company. Go do it for your friend's band. Go do it for that startup that has no, no money at this point. Do the work for those guys. Because A, you're not going to spoil or tarnish your reputation with a larger company by going and offering your services at 125th the cost of what they should be, mm -hmm. right? And then B, you're going to be able to practice and do stuff with folks that are so happy that you're there, so happy and they respect every angle of it. So they're not going to be demanding like video village with 20 fucking chairs and all the other stuff that they're getting from the other bids that are 20, like 25 times more expensive. Yeah. And I agree with you because there's actually, we actually did kind of did something like that. There's this startup, they're called Wise. They make like little home security cameras. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen their ads before. No. Um, they're a relatively small company out of Seattle and we've known this, the, one of the creators for it. We actually got him a job at Amazon actually. Nice. Um, <laughs> and well, no, he got his job at Amazon. No, whatever. <laughs> we got him a couple of jobs at one point. I can't remember the backstory, but it doesn't matter. So, um, he started this company, um, wise labs with some buddies from Amazon and he, we got in with that on, cause he, we're friends with them. So we started the, we did their first ad campaign for them. And because of our ads, we actually, we didn't know this at the time. They told us later that they didn't have much branding. They kind of just had like a logo and like a couple colors, mm -hmm. but because of our first video we made for them, we literally started their, like we came up with their whole branding because of our first video. Cause we used a bunch of different colors and like bunch of different colored backgrounds with this light and made it really snazzy and very like quick pace. Kind of like if you ever remember that Apple commercial where they just do the words on the screen and it's just, it's called the blink commercial. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, it was famous back a few years ago and they've kind of like tweaked it since with all their new ads. Um, we did a style of ad like that for them and the whole thing kind of created the branding for that company. And we started out with them and then they, um, because we created the branding, they could only they only used us for their ads for the longest time because we started that they started out with us and so as they grew we got all those ads because we made their branding and so we are the ones that knew how to make videos for them and knew how to produce videos for them quick mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and as they grew our budgets have grown and stuff like that and so some of our favorite ads that we've been able to do over the last few years have been for that company because they trust us to make really cool ads. Like we made some of our funniest commercials cause we really like making comedic commercials. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you were able to check out our website before, but we made this one really cool commercial of a Cyclops. Yes. I've seen and, it. And it was just, it's one of our favorite commercials and that's what it's like the first video you see on our website. Cause it's just so jarring. It's fun. It's like a, an aesthetic we really like. We really like the eighties, like old school and like the humor of it. It's just on point to what we really love to do. Yep. And it's, yeah, and we've done multiple commercials like that that have the same type of humor, and we're able to do that because this client trusts us. So we got in the door early, and slowly we we've been able to like build our budgets up to do those type of things, dude. And it shows, and I love that, right? Because mm -hmm. I have a lot of those same clients, right? Like a lot of folks will look at my work and go, "How did you ever convince a client to do that stuff?" It's because we're working and experimenting with clients that feel incredibly fortunate to have our skills on the table, really. Mm -hmm. And you, you bring up a really good point where when their budget goes up, when their income goes up, so does yours. 
And that feels like a working relationship together. That feels like a creative partnership, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. I like and that. They've, and since then, they've tried to hire us a few times, but we've never, we like working, being independent, you know, filmmakers and being freelancers. And so we've never actually done that, but they've definitely tried to even hire us a few times to be their in-house video oh, team. Oh, that's smart. See, okay. This is good that you brought that up too, because I forgot about that aspect of things. And it's great that you guys said no to that <laughs> because that it ends up being this other business plan for a lot of these companies, especially you start getting into like tech companies and startups and that kind mm -hmm. of thing where they're like, you guys are really great. You're really, you know, you guys are very talented. Let's put you on salary. If you go on salary, <laughs> you're screwed, man, because the amount of time and energy and the hours that it takes us to do this stuff that we charge for adequately as freelancers, you go on salary. Every dude that I know that has taken that job a year later wants to blow his fucking brains out because he's doing way too much work, way too much stuff. And, uh, he's just underpaid. <laughs> yeah. I think the freelancers are, if you are really passionate about being a freelancer and entrepreneur, there's a reason why you're that way. Like, and you can't do a regular nine to five. And so when you for go, sure, for sure. so like you're being a freelancer for years and you decide this company gives you this offer. Cause a lot of companies do this, like you said. And, um, you take it, you go to a nine to five and you realize like, oh, most of my days meetings. And then I have to make a, like five videos a month for just the same base pay. Like I don't, like, I can't just charge what I want for these things. And then you realize like, oh, this isn't as fun. I mean, some people like nine to five, like my wife, she works a nine to five and she loves it. And sure. I love it because I get cheap healthcare through it. Sure. Um, but like, I know I could never do a nine to five. Um, and I love my freelancing gig. Well, dude. And then the other thing that's really funny or not funny, but sad about it is that you, you would take that job or maybe a person would take that job because, uh, they would think, uh, Oh, wow. Well, they're going to, I'm going to be the in-house guy. I'm going to be the guy that they go to for all this stuff. So then I can really sort of do some of the bigger spots. I can do the big stuff with them because they're paying my salary. And of course, I'd be the one to do that. You go take that job. And what you end up doing is you manage all the smaller shit. So you're consistently managing like the low buck, the internet stuff. Hey, there was that period of time where they're like, just take care of social media. <laughs> Next mm -hmm. thing you know, you're like shooting all like these like low buck, no budget videos for social media. And then that company still goes and hires a David Fincher to do the big spots. And mm -hmm. so like not only are you not doing the spots that you want to be doing, but you're also sitting on the inside looking at how they're hiring the people on the outside. And it's incredibly depressing for, for yeah. folks to take that. You know? And that's another thing too. Like I just the depression part of being a freelancer and being in the film industry. And like, that's something I don't like, you don't hear a lot of people talk about too. It's like, I mean, sometimes you do like this job, it has, it's very, you have your lowest lows and you have your highest highs when you're a freelance filmmaker. You're going to look at those people that are like doing the Nike ad and you may know him. Like we know the guy that works um, for maximum effort, who is Ryan, which is Ryan Reynolds, like, Mm -hmm. ad company mm -hmm. and like we're good friends with that guy and we're actually um my brother Rhett is actually pretty good friends with ryan reynolds and it's like you can actually even say like why aren't we doing stuff for maximum effort we're so terrible at our job but then you just gotta like like you can't get so down on yourself as a filmmaker because that's just 
people get success and you got to be happy for other filmmakers. And then, cause you have your own success because like, yeah, we're not doing stuff for my maximum effort, but we're doing stuff for Amazon and we're doing stuff for, you know, that tech company I was just talking about where we got to work with, um, it's, he's not a huge actor, but, um, if you have ever heard of John O'Hurley, mm-hmm. um, he was, well, the reason why we used him is because we're huge Seinfeld fans and he is Jay Peterman on Seinfeld. <laughs> and it was like, it was a huge moment for us. Cause we like to got to shoot with him and it's like, like he's like a B-list actor, but we're like so starstruck because it's like, we grew up watching you. You were like such an awesome <laughs> character. And like, yeah, you got to look at these moments and be like, dude, I'm doing my job. Like I'm making commercials that are being seen by millions and it's like really fun to do. Yeah. Who cares if I'm not doing the, like even doing the next Amazon gig, like I'll get the next one or, or mm-hmm. whatnot. Like as long as you're enjoying what you do, that's all that really matters. And I mean, yes, you need to make money. I can't say you don't need to make money, but you just need to enjoy the process. All right, gang, it is time to take a moment and talk about our sponsors of the show. And let's get a little, let's get a little deep in with the people, the men and women that make the show possible, but more importantly, the gear, the tools, the stuff that I like, the stuff that I use, and let me be completely transparent with you guys, you don't need to own any of this stuff. It's helpful. It's stuff that I love and use, like I said, but I'm not pushing it on you, okay? So go through, listen to what I got to say, and uh, if you want to support the show, then just click on the links in the description of this episode, or visit these guys on Instagram and say, hey, I appreciate you supporting and love with the process. I'm curious about your products or whatever, because it helps. It keeps the sponsors coming in. It keeps the show for free for you guys. And I'm trying to get to a point because I've been doing this show so much. I'm trying to get to the point with sponsors where this takes care of my rent. This basically takes care of my stuff. It's okay if this is kind of a day job for me. I'm fine with that. And sponsors are going to try to make that happen. All right. So first up, Supporting the show, as always, Friends Over Puget Systems. Okay, so for all you independent filmmakers out there, if you're looking for a new computer right now, if you need something, uh, and it's a price game, right? Maybe you're not working. That's what this whole episode's about, right? It's been a while since you've had a client get back to you. And so you want to make an investment that is solid for the future, that's upgradable for the future, but you also, you also want to spend it wisely because this stuff is like, maybe you have to take a loan out for a computer, it becomes a thing, right? And you don't want this computer to be outdated before you pay it off. Head on over to Puget Systems and build yourself a PC. These guys build incredibly powerful PCs based upon the information that they collect through benchmark testing all sorts of hardware out there, through running software through this new hardware and like really beating the shit out of uh, new updates and, and figuring out what is the best machine for your needs. That's what I love about these guys is that they talk to you specifically. You can reach out to them and they will talk about what your needs are, consult you on building a system. And if they feel like they can't build the right system for you, they'll let you know. They really will. I love them for it. And if you're someone that is running a production company, right? So when we were doing my production company back in the day, we hit a point where we realized that we needed a few edit bays. We needed to be able to have systems that can communicate with each other. We need to have a post workflow. Um, And so when I talked to Puget, it was right around then where we started to build out an awesome post-production studio system. 
These guys are hyper-focused on that right now. So if you run an edit system, or if you run an edit production company, a post-production company, or if you're into VFX, or if you're into virtual uh, sets, all that kind of stuff, look into Puget Systems. Before you go to one of those big places, right, and you spend ass loads of money on the unboxing experience, check in with Puget, write to them, tell them what it is that you need, and you'll be, you'll be incredibly surprised with what they come up with. And you're going to love their customer service, which is huge. Go be a part of the Puget Systems family. Go to PugetSystems.com and check it out. All right. Also supporting the show, friends over at Jambox. Jambox.io. If you are a content creator, uh, which I know you are, if you're someone that is doing commercials, if you're somebody that is doing podcasts, one of the hardest things for us on our budgets is finding good music. We spend so much time and energy renting like the hottest new camera, the sweetest new lenses, putting everything together, and then we are forced to cram shitty music underneath it. And have you noticed how it affects the, the, the end goal? How many times have you had to like, oh, take a really bad stock track and put it under really great footage? And you're like, oh, it's so depressing because it pulls everything down because music is more than 50% of everything. Let's be real, sound is, right? So I did a hard search and I found these guys over at Jambox. And what I love about Jambox is that they run their uh, royalty music website like a record label. They work with incredibly talented artists like Tonks, I play Tonks all the time on the show. Um, they have amazing genres of music. Uh, when uh, Gina and I did the, um, the GQ piece with uh, Robert Pattinson, Batman, if you will. Um, Gina wanted to do uh, opera music. And I'm like, oh man, opera music is going to be really tough to license. And we found it on Jambox. Really great opera music. So when you see those pieces, that came from Jambox as well. I'm telling you right now, head on over to Jambox and check out their plans. They have subscription plans. They have single song licensing plans, and they're incredibly affordable for the level of quality that you're getting. If you're a creator, so if you're making YouTube projects or students or podcasts, $9.99 a month with a 30-day free trial gets you free access to all music, unlimited downloads for social media, web streaming, personal student projects, film festivals, etc. cetera. Uh, that's $9.99 a month. If you're someone that is creating commercials like our company today that we have on our show, um, and you have clients, and maybe you're doing digital ads, weddings, corporate, nonprofit, $19.99 a month gives you, with a seven-day free trial, by the way, gives you access from everything that the creator plan had, plus full access to all the sound effects that they have. They have some great sound effects on this website, and stems for music. So you can actually pull apart the music tracks and build them the way you need them to be for your piece. I love that it's the coolest thing as an editor um, and you can use this stuff for paid advertising corporate business weddings that kind of thing live events um, or if you're a student six bucks a month will get you access to everything the unlimited does for student projects film festivals web streaming social channels etc um, and then if you're someone that is allergic to subscriptions right now because we subscribe to so many different things and maybe you just want a single song um, they have very affordable single song pricing 
For instance, personal starting at like $19.99 per song. And these are fucking great songs. I talk about this consistently on the show. And I feel like if you haven't noticed, I don't have like a script for this read. So when I start to say the same thing over and over again, it's because I believe in it. And I believe wholeheartedly. If you head on over to jambox.io right now, sign up for one of the trials. Do that as a creator. Just do that. Go through the music that they have on there. Check it out. The music is going to inspire you. It's going to inspire new projects. If you're someone that has a podcast, for the love of God, check this out. Because it's going to change that shitty music that you put your fucking listeners through. And there are so many listeners chuckling right now. Because you know on crappy podcasts, the crappy music that's there. If you sign up on Jambox right now, raise the value of your show with great music. Okay? Jambox.io. Check them out. Uh, Also, we are supported by our friends over at Vidafair. If you go to V-I-D-A-F-A-I-R.com, Vidafair is a place for you to host and monetize your content. And I, I know for some reason, we're talking about insecurities on this episode. We're talking about uh, how we're raised as filmmakers to be insecure about charging people for our work. Where does that come from? Right? I get it. If you're just, why do we put all our insecurity on our work? Why do we assume that our fans and our followers won't pay for it? Ask them. Like do a post or poll on your Instagram account. And ask them all, guys, I'm, a, I'm about to do a new project. I'm about to do a new podcast. What would you pay for? How much can you afford? Or what do you think it's worth? Do a poll. Find out. You'll be surprised that most people will pay for something, especially if they're fans of you, especially if they like your work. And then the next question is, is where do I host it? Where do I put it? I mean, some of these places will take a percentage of every click. Some of these places will take a percentage if I raise the rates or lower the rates, right? It becomes like, ah, I have to charge enough for it to be worth my time. What I love about Vitafair is it's like a one cost for hosting. They don't charge you more or less dependent upon your price. And I think to, to host a piece on Vitafair, it's like under six bucks for a year. It's nothing, which I like about it. Um, and the other thing that's really exciting about them They're so focused on getting us to change our mindset, getting us to be like, look, we can charge for our content. We can be in control of our income. At the end of the year, come tax season, and we look at how much we did make, uh, we don't have to be as depressed (laughs) because we're at least making content that we own and we can charge for. That's huge. Putting the power back into our hands. They're also doing, and this is what they want me to promote today, they're doing a film festival right now. Their deadline for the Vitafair Film Festival is March 11th, which is two days from now, but their late deadline is March 31st. They also have an extended deadline of April 22nd. Um, The Vitafair Film Festival is dedicated to both excellent storytelling and film monetization. The principle of the film festival is simple. Monetizing creative work isn't greed, it's fairness. And if artistic painters are free to set their prices for their work, why shouldn't filmmakers? Modern streaming technology allows for just that. 
at the Vitafair Film Festival, all accepted content will generate actual revenue for the filmmakers. <laughs> this is what's so interesting about this as a film festival, because most of the time when you submit to film festivals, you just feel like you're throwing away money, right? You have to pay them to get rejected. Or you get accepted, and then they make all the door, right? This is what's interesting about Vitafair's film festival, is that you will generate uh, revenue, Michael, get your mouth to work, for filmmakers. Now, how is this different than you just posting your content up there? Vitafair is going to advertise it. Vitafair is going to push it out there because they want this film festival to be su successful, which means that the people that they advertise it to are going to hunt for content. It's free advertising. And then you get paid, right? Head on over to vitafair.com. Check it out. And if you want to submit to the film festival, uh, you can do it on filmfreeway.com. Just look up Vitafair Film Festival. I'll try to put links in the description of the episode, uh, but hell yeah. Very excited about that. See what I mean? I find stuff that's cool, right? These aren't just dumb ads. Uh, let's see what else we got going on. Uh, friends over at ETC, ETC Connect. Uh, ETC are the guys that make the Source 4 light, which are those spotlights. I love those lights. Uh, and they've been working hard in recent years to give us incredible new fixtures specifically for use with cameras. I just got my hands on their FOS slash 4 Fresnel. And one of the most eye-catching aspects of this line of fixtures is the color mix. Their Luster X8 array includes deep red emitters, which not only open up to more color mixing options than you'd get with the traditional four-color studio fixture, but also lead to richer, more natural beams of light in any color point you use. Okay, let me just stop that read here because it's starting to feel too much like an ad read. I love these uh, Source 4 lights. I love the Fresnel that I got. That FOS 4 Fresnel, is a, it's, it's like an 1800, but it's all LED, which is nice. I can plug it into the wall. I can control the color from the inside of the unit. Um, a lot of people don't think about ETC for this type of fixture. Go check them out. Look around. Head on over to etcconnect.com backslash love the process. Take a peek around. See the fixtures. See the stuff that they're doing. Um, and just be educated. You know what I'm saying? Um, last but not least, if you love this show, maybe you're a newcomer, um, head on over to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There I've curated all of the episodes. We're, we're getting close to 200, man. Curated all the episodes, put up some new graphics on our main page, uh, super sexy with descriptions and sometimes videos. There are pages specifically for the episode with content. So like supplemental content, oh, Jesus, Michael, supplemental content for per episode is up there. Oh my God, talking too much. Um, and it's a great place to go if you're feeling overwhelmed by the amount of episodes. You're like, oh, do I start at number one? Well, maybe you should. But if you're feeling lazy, there's like top 25 episodes up there you can go to. There's uh, episodes set up by uh, content. So like if you want to just listen to all the directors, the director's episode link, if you want to listen to the chefs, if you want to listen to, I don't know, film crew, that's up there too. It's a great section. Um, head on over to inlovewiththeprocess.com and uh, it'll change your life. <laughs> it'll just make your life easier. All right, let's get back to it.
okay, you bring up a great point about depression, and it's it's like let's let's dig a little deeper into this because this is something that you know full transparency. I had two weeks of of hard depression the past like two weeks of it, and it mm-hmm. was because a specific gig didn't come through or because uh, something uh, was slowed down or something was taken away. And it's because of uh, the internal stresses that I put on the gig or the internal stresses that I put on a job. Or I Mm -hmm. may set a calendar for myself uh, in this business. Like when I turned 40, which was what, three years ago? When I turned 40, I had told myself, no matter what, 40 years old, the... Uh, feature film is happening at 40, like the big, the Hollywood feature. And I set that goal. And mm-hmm. I set that goal probably at like 35 or whatever it was. And I hustled, 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 and pushed and, and ma- made all that stuff. I made my, my shit and I was presenting all my stuff. And then I put it into an industry that runs at a snail's pace. And so one of the things that I've had to come to terms with as I got into directing and Hollywood stuff is that no matter how fast I am, no matter how good I am at my stuff, it still gets placed on this conveyor belt, which runs at a fucking snail's pace and has to run its course. And if I'm riding that thing the same way that I rode everything to get to that point, which is like my techniques, my skills, my methods, like push harder, faster, edit this faster, get this turnaround quicker, do all that stuff. If I try to put that same energy on this conveyor belt that's like crawling ahead at a slow pace, it doesn't do anything. I suddenly have no control over it. I suddenly have no control over where it goes and how long it takes people to look at it, how long it takes people to read it. And so the depression that came from that was so instantaneous where it was like, holy fuck, it doesn't matter how fast I am. It doesn't matter how good I am. Now I have to like, how do I survive this? And it took me a few weeks to be like, the only way to survive this is to put as many things on that fucking conveyor belt as I possibly can. Because it's it's going to get beyond my control at that point. Yeah. You know? And I, I know that's like, maybe not relevant to this entire episode, but I just wanted to explain to you guys that like, uh, this is the job. <laughs> this is the job. The job is, uh, because there's no path and we keep saying this, there's no, there's no gravity. The job is constantly pivoting, but also you have to motivate yourself and you have to struggle and you have to push hard. Right. And then you have to deal with the response of that. And that response can be completely not what it is. Like, why is my future not happening when I turn 40? Ah, uh, fucking COVID dude. Let's <laughs> so like COVID showed up and how was that in the plan? Like whose online course that I take that was going to prep me for fucking like a world pandemic. Yeah. And who's going to plan for a pandemic ever. Yeah. And, and then the results of the pandemic, which were like incredible social change, uh, like, like, uh, an entire whitewashing, uh, a confrontation that happened with the industry. And then, uh, the, the backlash of that. So then suddenly, Every major network and every major studio was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We need to prove that we're not racist. So, like, this is what we need for content. And if you don't write content that fits into the whatever that desperate struggle is, then you're your host for that year. And and so then wh- who teaches you about that? And this is this is the world that we're in, which is 
it doesn't matter how good or how talented or how prepared you are. Um, the big portion of the job, and this is what I meant by time. The big portion of the job is that <laughs> the unknown that is swirling around us, that is consistently interacting with and pushing public opinion and pushing all that stuff that you can't really fucking prep for. Yeah. And I think that's something that like prepping for those type of times, excuse me, um, where like what helps me personally when I'm like, like getting through those rough times is like, yeah. I've loved like talking with you and I've talked with other filmmakers before too. And it's like, it's really nice to listen that listen to other people's story and listen to the things that they've gone through because it like, they're going through the same struggles that I've gone through or are currently <laughs> going through. And like, that makes yeah. me feel so much better about myself. I'm like, Oh, this guy, you know, he's above 40 and he's still kind of having hard times with certain things and he's still struggling with this or that. And it's like, okay, I'm not as bad as a filmmaker as I thought I was. Isn't this that is the just best? An, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so like, that's why another thing, like I don't mean to be keep talking about my course, like seriously, I'm not trying to plug it that much, but um, <laughs> they're like the, having a community of people with inside uh, like a course or things like that. Cause we have like an online chat thing where it's like, you can, communicate with other filmmakers and like express your hardships and have other people that are there to kind of pick you up and help you through these times. And it's like, that's such a fun and good th feeling to have. Mm -hmm. And like, it's not going to make it everything go better. It's still not going to make the job a breeze to go through when you're going through a hard time, but it's always good to have a community to fall back on, to help you through certain times or give you advice on something that they, when they've gone through something similar, you know? Oh, uh, dude. Compl dude, no, you're right. A hundred percent. I mean, that's what I love about the show, uh, mm -hmm. is, is that, and, and, um, it's, it's nice to hear that, um, someone else is going through the same thing. Um, because if you just look at surface value, and this is what a lot of us do, right? Is that when we're feeling depressed or we're feeling like we're not getting, the dopamine that we would get from uh, shooting or editing or putting out some stuff. Um, we do what the general public does right now. And we turn to our phones and we turn to our phones for dopamine. We really do. Whether it's like mm -hmm. cat videos or like a super exciting helicopter video or something else. And you're like, okay, great. Okay. I don't feel shitty for like that heartbeat. And then I don't know if you feel the same way you scroll through your feed and you're just like, oh, okay, that's cool. And then you start to see like some amazing uh, curated set experience and you go, oh, that's yeah. really cool. Why am I not doing that? And then you keep sort of scrolling through and you see another director who has just put out like 20 posts of him like on this amazing set with all these beautiful lights and like, and you're just like, why is he doing that? And then it just starts to roll in. It starts to roll mm -hmm. in in like 15 minutes while you're on your phone. Do you feel the same way? Oh yeah. Like just for that too. Like if you look, so I was just in New York last week on a shoot. Yep. Um, and if you look at my, not my Instagram, cause I, oh, I suck at per posting to my personal Instagram. Like I'm better at posting to like our courses and our, our companies, but mine, I, I haven't posted in like two years cause I uh -huh. suck at it anyway. <laughs> um, my brother and my two brothers, they're really good. And they posted some videos of like some tourist things we went and saw in, uh, New York and they're really cool videos. And you would think 
we just went on an amazing trip in New York. They're none, none of them are set photos, um, but they're just like, oh man, those guys were in New York shooting something. They're living the life. Yep. But in reality, we went and shot a banquet. We were shooting people eating down, sitting, eating food, and <laughs> someone was getting an award. That is yeah. legit what we shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like that again, like that makes you depressed. It's like, what am I doing with my life? I'm just shooting a banquet right now. Like, am I a real filmmaker? Like I did this when I was in high school. I shouldn't be doing this anymore. But like, I mean, that's just this client we've done other cool things with. This is just one, like, but, but not so cool video, but yeah. But dude, don't, don't excuse it at the back end because what you're, (laughs) here's what we need to think about is that because you went and did this video, because you went and did this like easy job that may not be the most sexy thing on the planet, you had the ability to go to New York. You had the ability to go and do like this stuff in New York City and have a fucking great time. And at the end of the day, it isn't just about the success. It's not just about making money and having the clout and all that kind of stuff. It's really just about the ability to have those experiences, the ability to make enough money for rent that month that you could have go to New York and spend some time in New York and, and, and do that kind of thing. That's, and that's, that's success. That's fucking success right there. Yeah. You know and that's I mean? true. Cause it's like, sometimes like you may not be shooting something very snazzy or cool, but like I live in Utah and I got to travel to New York for free. Yeah. You know? dude, and I got my yeah. meals for free and like this same company, like we don't do a lot of like amazing stuff for that company, but they take us to probably 30 different countries a year. I mean, this was before the pandemic, but like, I think 2019, I probably went to 30 different countries like Fiji and like Vietnam, Tahiti and stuff like that on this company's time. And like we, we, again, we weren't shooting the most glamorous videos, but we got to see some cool stuff and it was like, it is a cool experience and like, we're grateful for it. And we really do like the client, like they're some of our best friends. Um, But yeah, it's like exactly what you said. You get to go to a cool place and experience some cool stuff. And you know what the, okay. So let me also, let me also try to paraphrase this for the audience. Cause I know a lot of people are like, well, I, then I'll just go take jobs to go do really cool things. Mm-hmm. Beware. Okay. And, and, and so like a good story for this is, uh, I'm not going to give the exact company name, but there's a cruise line company out there that likes to find, uh, young filmmakers and not pay them a lot of money to do this stuff, but they package it in such a way where they go, but you get to travel the world. You get to go do all these really great things. Like I said to you earlier, whenever you put in for a job, look at how much, do the research, the information's out there, look how much that company makes per year, look at how much that company is going to potentially make based upon what it is that you're making for them. Like if you're just doing some sort of internal and capturing somebody that's getting an award somewhere, they're not making a bunch of money on that stuff. That's Mm -hmm. most likely just an internal video or something that they're going to use maybe for some sort of promotions. But if you're showing up to a cruise line with drones and the schedule and you're shooting kids drinking booze and like the party environment and the party life and all that kind of shit, and they're paying you fucking pennies on the fucking dime for whatever it is. And they're just offering you like, here's this great experience. You get to travel the world. You're being taken advantage of with that. Agreed. Point. You know? And yeah. And I totally get that. Like you want to, you should never take advantage, be a taken advantage from a company. You want to, like you said, do your research. Like if they're, if they make a lot of money and they come to you be like, Hey, we're going to give you some equity in our company 
And on the back end, you're going to get a lot of money because yeah. people do that a lot of time. That's one of the biggest things for startups. Like, hey, we don't have any money right now, but we'll give you equity in our company. And when we make it big, you'll make it big. That's great. And like when we first started, we did those sometimes and we did a lot of those and they never turned into anything and we lost money on it. And now we're like, if someone says that to us, we're like, no, we just want um, <laughs> you to pay us our date rate. And if they say no, then they say no because, and it doesn't hurt us because they weren't paying good money anyway. And I mean, sometimes they do work out like a filmmaker might do that and then make tons of money on the back end, but that is so few and far between. Yeah. 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 You're right, dude. You're totally right about that. Oh man, I'm happy we're talking. I know, look, I know that this show kind of got hijacked into this sort of conversation, but look, like if we just ran this, I think this is so much more valuable to the audience and I, and mm -hmm. I appreciate it. And you guys do amazing work i checked out your films i checked out your commercials and i'm going to make sure we're going to drive everybody to see your traffic but i think that there is something so great about you being able to come on the show and be honest with me about this stuff because there's the value in that is is so much more you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah i had a lot of fun it was really great to talk about all that topic that type good, of stuff man. Like, good good you don't good, get good. to talk about that very often dude i love it man and i love the fact that you're going on this ride with me on it because um I just, these, these are the, these are the things that like, I wouldn't feel good having paying, like charging people for a course on this stuff. That's why I'm giving it to you guys. Just my personal experiences with these things. And you're asking, you may be asking yourself like, what's Mike's motivation? Why would he be doing this stuff? Let me be a hundred percent fucking transparent about that too. If everybody's smarting the fuck up and they stop giving things away for free, then the jobs will still exist. And I, I had a conversation with somebody, I forget who it was, but uh, they were in line to do some content for a large sneaker company, one of the largest sneaker companies. And they had told me um, what they were doing it for. Now, this was a bid that went out to everybody, right? Mm -hmm. These guys send out bids all the way straight across the board. And I bid probably 25% more no 25 times more rather my bad 25 times more than what they charged and then there were people that charged even more than me that have been in this business for 30 plus years and it makes a lot of sense because they may have had films that came out they have an audience they have an understanding of that stuff they have a seasoned crew that's amazing that makes a lot of fucking sense to me and then the person that gets the gig is the one that charged 25 times less than me for this gig and so they're like this is such a great opportunity and they, they they have this sort of look on their face and look there's no bitterness i i bid on a bunch of jobs i lose jobs that's part of our thing no, no big mm -hmm. deal the thing that was blowing my mind was the the short-sightedness that these that these kids had where they're like this is such a great opportunity uh i get to be working for this giant company and i get to do this thing and we won the bid and it's really great and i go okay cool you go do this gig, and then what? Well, then I'm going to take this experience, and I'm going to use that experience to get more money from a larger company. Who's the larger company? There is yeah. no larger company. You've literally established with the largest company in this industry that you will do this for shit fucking money. You gave this away for free. And the only way you're able to do so, and here's this is me being completely honest about it. The only way you're able to do so is that 
you're not paying for production insurance. You have no people on your staff. Um, your, your parents bought your entire camera package and you're living in your mother's basement. So good for you that you were able to get all that stuff and work all that stuff. But five years later, and these same people will come and talk to me five years later and they go, uh, how do you survive? Like I've got kids now. How do I have it? How do I survive in this industry? And I go, you've ruined it. You've ruined it for yourself. And you've also ruined it for everybody else that's in the industry. And it was because you weren't, you weren't taught to be confident. You weren't taught to be confident in your stuff and to charge for your stuff. You didn't learn that confidence early on. So you were like, oh my God, they're right. The client's right. This is a, this is a great opportunity for me. You were taken advantage of and it fucked up the entire industry. And so at this point, when I teach you guys this, it isn't so that I get more work because at the end of the day, the, the job's going to go to who it's suited for best. In the perfect world, which will never exist, but in the perfect world, if everybody charged around the same price for stuff, the people that would get the jobs are the people that have had the life experiences, the experiences, or the connections uh, to get that gig. That's the perfect world. And uh, I'm not saying that we should get there, but Jesus Christ, we should try to bring it a little bit back to what that was. Because at this point, like I said, the clients own the marketplace and they're running it on fear and anxiety. And I, that's a very brutal statement. You're very quiet. <laughs> no, sorry. I'm just listening. Sometimes I do this. Sometimes when people are listening, I've noticed where I'm like, I don't say, uh-huh uh, or yeah. And I just kind of listen. I'm kind of a quiet listener. I just I, imagine I, you were just slowly backing away. <laughs> no, I don't like, I, I feel like I don't like talking over people and I like not having any interrupting noises. I do it because of interviews. When we interview people, you can't give expressions like verbal <laughs> expressions because you can't have you talking on camera. And so that's where I get it from. So I'm kind of just silent. I, I'm listening. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> but no, yeah, I, I get that. And I kind of, I, I agreed of it too, with some extent and like, um, yeah, it just, it just sucks just because like, yeah, it is because gear and things are so like cheap nowadays, like you were saying way earlier in the podcast, like because a cinema camera can be, you know, you can, I, I some people disagree with me, but I feel like you could shoot a decent commercial on a cell phone. A hundred percent. One hundred percent. Like I know, like we get paid hundreds of like thousands and thousands of dollars for these videos to go shoot all over the world. And we shoot on a red or we shoot on a, like we really like the Sony a7S3 mm -hmm. or FX3, whatever you want to call it. Um, and sometimes we just shoot on the phone and throw that clip into the video and the client doesn't even know. And it matches up to pay mm -hmm. if you know how to use your phone correctly on to get the correct exposure and lighting and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so it's like to shoot commercials, like you, like anyone, everyone has an iPhone or a smartphone and you can go shoot something and so it makes it more difficult for our se us seasoned people where it's like, we have $50,000 worth of gear and this guy that has an iPhone just beat us out because they can charge two grand for the spot. And yeah, that's kind of hard. And it makes us as seasoned filmmakers having to hustle harder now to beat those other guys and explain why our product is better than their product and why the company would benefit from this type of product, you know? Yes. Yes. 
I'm also going to crack that open a little bit here yeah. um, because it isn't just that. Okay. It isn't just that at the end of the day, the people that are running around doing stuff on their iPhone for two grand, unless they make some like amazing connection with the client uh, you know, maybe you're the best man at their sister's wedding. <laughs> maybe That's there's true. some I get, sort of, I like, know where you're going with this. Yeah. There's some sort of thing you're going to be stuck in that range. And there's a reason why, and no one really wants to acknowledge this in the commercial world. There's a reason why, uh, Denis, uh, who directed, uh, Blade Runner 2077 or whatever, uh, he, he's going to get, uh, you know, $50,000 a day. There's, there's a reason why uh, Rob Zombie getting pulled in to do a cotton commercial years ago gets huge cash. It's because they have a narrative voice. They have an audience. They have fans. They have a narrative mm -hmm. voice. They have a storytelling voice. They have experience. The thing that you can charge for and the thing that you should be marketing, especially if you're an, I don't want to say an older filmmaker, but if you're a more seasoned filmmaker, isn't necessarily the fact that you have gear. Fuck gear. You can rent gear. I can rent gear that I don't have. I could say to a client, yeah, I've got, you know, I've got Anamorphic Prime sitting here in the living room with, uh, you know, an Alexa. I could just go rent those fucking things. It doesn't matter whether or not you have the gear. What you should be marketing, in my opinion, what you should be marketing is your personal experiences, your life experiences, Everything that sits between your two ears, that is your value. So when someone comes to you with a, with a treatment, if someone comes to me with a treatment and says, hey, uh, we've got this commercial that we want to do, and it's about a 15-year-old uh, uh, girl using toothpaste, and uh, it's her first day uh, at, in high school or whatever, and we want you to do this piece, Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I may put together some treatment based upon my experiences, right? I've got a couple of sisters. Uh, I've got uh, girlfriends. I, I, I've worked with talent uh, that are ladies. So let, like I'm going to bring in all those things that I possibly can from my life. And mm -hmm. I'm also up against um, a female director, a woman, who has physically had that experience. Yeah. She's going to get the gig. She should mm -hmm. get the gig. And I would have no problem losing that gig to her because of her life experiences. It's going to make it a better commercial. And it's not that I can't learn about that stuff. It's not that I couldn't figure those things out and do the research for that thing. But if that's why I lose the gig, I fucking get it, man. I get it. Yeah. And then you don't have to be depressed about that. There's a sense of like, well, fuck yeah, kill it, man. That's awesome. She got the gig. I want to see what that's going to be. I mm -hmm. really want to see what that's going to be. And then at this point, uh, you're trying to arm yourself with enough ammunition so that you don't become bitter about that and you don't, you don't become depressed by that, which in my opinion is save up your money. Make sure you always have more than enough money in your bank accounts to be able to pay your rent at least five months in the future. So that mm -hmm. way, that's not a, a driving force for it. And then consistently write treatments and put things out there. And the more eggs that you have in the basket, which I have to relearn this lesson for myself, the more eggs you have in your, in your basket, the less of a blow it is for you. If you don't get that fucking spot, that wasn't right for you to begin with. Yeah. Agreed. I get that. 
and it's always having, yeah, you got to have as many irons in the fire as possible because that's just how it works. And, and like, cause some things don't work out. Like sometimes my, our online course doesn't do super well. And so we rely on the production company or sometimes the production company is a little low and the other stuff works out. And like, that's just how it goes. And like in the film industry, like you said, things move so much slower, like commercial work, that stuff is fast paced. Mm-hmm. It's always moving. And like a client will call you like, Hey, I need this done. I need from script, from writing the script to, um, final video up on our website, up on YouTube is two weeks. That mm-hmm. happens all the time. Mm-hmm. And, but in the film world, things are like years and years in the making it. Like we <laughs> yeah. have like three or four films that we've had three or four producers come on and say, Hey, I can get you half a million in like six months, six months go by that producer hasn't got us a thing yet and mm. we and it's just slow and it just takes time and it doesn't and it's just something you just kind of got to roll with and if you have as many irons in the fire as you can then like sometimes you are you don't want to spread yourself too thin obviously um but sometimes things are going to get warmer and hotter than others and it's just to go along with that analogy but like some things will work out sometimes and other things won't. And it just, it kind of changes from day to day when you own, when you're like a freelancer type of thing. Yeah, dude, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. How are you doing on time as we continue to ramble? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Okay. Yeah. Um, to, to expand on that point. Um, one of the things that I'm struggling with as a filmmaker is, uh, creating those irons and, I think the th- the biggest thing that I'm currently struggling with, which I'm, I think I have a new method to try to get through it, is that especially if you're creating like film treatments or film ideas or film concepts or pitches, um, you can't passively do it. Like there's at least I can't. I can't mm-hmm. just go like, well, let's just come up with a couple of different things and I'll just write them down on paper. You know, like, what if aliens came into the space and they did this kind of thing? And I know that that's kind of what's in the marketplace right now. So let's just Mm -hmm. write down aliens and put them on this piece of paper and then pitch it. I've tried that before. I've gone in for pitches before where I've just sort of been blasé about it. And I'm kind of reacting to the fact that I have to do it where I'm like, fuck, I got to do this when I want to do my other thing. Fine, I'll just do this. And I've, I've attempted to do it. And I've had my agents and management be like, Mike, what the fuck is going on? And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, you just don't seem committed in this. And I'm like, well, how committed can I be in this thing? If I'm, I, I don't know if I'm going to get this gig. Uh, so if I'm too committed, why sh- why why get too committed with it if I'm not going to fucking get it? And they go, well, why are you doing it? Yeah. And then you're like, oh. And then they're like, you have to be committed. You have to be fully committed. You have to know this thing. You have to love this thing. You have to go through this entire process of this thing. And then you're probably not going to get it. But you have to go through this process which yeah. is heartbreaking. It's very heartbreaking. Like you have in everything, like even in like the commercial world, like you need to be passionate about, okay, for the most part, you need to be passionate about in the commercial world, but like the filmmaking world, like everything you pitch, every commercial, every script you write, you need to be passionate about that film and really love that film. Cause if people don't see that you love it, like they, you still might not get the gig or get like the funding for it or whatnot. If you do, are mm-hmm. really passionate about it. There's mm-hmm. still a bunch of other things that come into play. But like, if you're definitely not passionate about it, you most likely will never, nothing will come of it because you have to be, it's heartbreaking because you put so much work into it and then it fails. And then you put so much work into it again and then it fails again. And it's just like, 
you want to just like distance yourself because it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. But that is the name of the game in, in feature films. Like you have you have to be passionate and the people that are s- super passionate will eventually, I feel like, find like find a place in this industry. Yeah. Now did I do too? And then because that's that's not something that I haven't heard before. And that's not something that I haven't necessarily that's something I've said before. And so mm-hmm. for me recently i've been living off of that right that's been my energy mm-hmm. and so you know i've been like as long as you're passionate as long as you're doing this and this is something i have to do and i have to go through that well full transparency i've also continuously felt the effects of that and even if i'm trying to convince myself in my head that this is fine this is the job this is what it is it's still stacking emotionally within me so you hit a point where you're like and, and, and so then every time you go back to that well again, where you're like, okay, I got to come up with a new treatment. I got to come up with a new thing. It becomes harder to do. It becomes heavier to do where you're like, okay, all right. I like, and then you're, you're, you're attempting to fight back the cynicism based upon the prior experiences that you've had with it, where you're like, I just have to stay passionate. I have to stay with this thing and we're going to try to make this movie. I'm going to push for this movie. This has really weighed on me pretty fucking hard. Yeah. And, and uh, recently, my new, my new thing, because I'm trying to get out of it, my new thing right now is that I'm changing my thought process on this, where if I'm writing ideas and I'm putting things down, it isn't to make that movie. Because the chances of that being made as a movie, if that's the goal of me doing this, the chances of that are so slim that I'm just setting myself up again for emotional rejection again. Mm-hmm. And it's hurting. Like it's physically hurting at this point. Yeah. So, so now my new mode, which I'll let you know how it works, <laughs> <laughs> but my new mode is I just need to put together a really good document. That's it. And if I, if I come up with this idea, I put reference images together, I put all these things together and I have a really great document. That is my end game. It isn't to have that movie get made. It is just to have that document made. And then if that's where my satisfaction comes in, then I put that on the assembly line. And if that yeah. if that thing gets made, great. And if it doesn't get made, who gives a fuck? But at least I still have this collected book of ideas that are put together. And I don't know. I'll let you know how that works. <laughs> yeah. For for us, what we try to do and what we're doing right now, because we've had a few, I don't know, it's like three or four years where we've been trying to get these like big feature films that need like half a million to um, three fourths of a million dollars. Um, and we haven't been able to get that funding and we've worked our best. We've kind of gotten at one point we got like a, um, I don't know if you know, Joe Schwamberg, um, no. ever heard of him? No. He's a, he's a lower, he's not like a, I don't know what, list what letter you would give him as an actor but like he's lower on the totem pole um does a lot of indie things and we had him attached and like people do know him in the industry and um but still that movie didn't get made and it's been really rough going forward Mm -hmm. and so like for the last couple like the last year or so like we're like okay do you know we're just we have this production company it's been We've have money in the bank that we've been slowly putting money there from our production company. So let's take some of that money and we're now just going to go shoot our own film. 
where mm-hmm. we've written it because this is what we did for our first feature. Like no one was, we tried to write treatments and we were very much nobodies. And we literally just made a film for under a thousand dollars and it made it into one of the top 10 film festivals in the U like the world. Um, mm-hmm. It was Cinequest in California. And we were like runners up for South by Southwest. And I think Tribeca mm-hmm. um, anyway. And so we're like going back to our roots of that movie and we're like, you know what? We're just legit. Just going to go make a short first. And then we're going to turn that short. Like we're going to do a short for a proof of concept for us. And then we're going to just go out and make this film. Mm-hmm. Like we have the gear. We know people in the industry in, in Utah and other places. And we're going to get some, spend some of our money, make a film for like under 50 grand, which mm-hmm. is very small as you know, for films. And we're just going to do it. And if it never sees the light of day, we don't care because we just want, we want to make this art piece, this piece of art. And we want to see it on screen, whether it's just, if it's just for us and our friends, we'll be happy, you know? And that's kind of the route that we're going with it right now. And we're, we have a, my brother just sent, like I said, the short version of the script. Um, So like a three page script that we want to go out and shoot a little proof of concept for ourselves and see how it does. And it's a weird, very weird, like off the wall indie concept um, that we're excited to go and and make. And that's kind of our process right now. Is it uh, is it a comedy or is it a drama? It's a, I, there's going to be some form of comedy somewhere in it because that we just like to put weird comedic things and stuff. I don't mm-hmm. think we could ever do like a full on serious thing. There's always going to be a joke somewhere in there for us <laughs> um, mm-hmm. because that's who we are. Um, but it's kind of like a, um, a dark comedy, I guess you would say. Um, Cause this guy is going to, he kills people in it or something. I can't really remember. It's been a minute since we talked about the film, but <laughs> it, it's going to have its own level of quirkiness. Um, like this guy who goes out, I'll tell you the brief concept of it. Like the -hmm. guy is like a vigilante type of person and he goes and kills like bad people. So he's like kind of like a Deadpool where he like hurts the bad people because they do bad things. And his costume is, I don't know what he wears, but he has a old TV on top of his head. Like one of those old like square TVs. It's not like a flat screen. So we've like gone and carved out this old retro TV Mm -hmm. and we're going to like VFX some cool movie scenes on the screen. And that's going to tell like certain aspects of the story is these old movies that he plays on his own, on his television screen. Oh, is that how and, he, commu- is that how he communicates? Is that like a bumblebee thing from like transformers kind of thing? Yeah, that might, I, we've talked about that. So he might do some communicating through that, but then there also might be actual communication through speaking at some point. Um, I don't think we've narrowed down that far, mm-hmm. but that's a concept we're going to use like old, like public domain videos to <laughs> put on there. Cause that doesn't cost us any money. And so that's one way we can do it. And it's like, it's a really off the wall concept, but we think it's really cool. And, um, we're really excited about it right now. That's fun, dude. It sounds like a fun yeah. project. What, what do you, what would the, what would the dream goal for that be for you guys? I mean, dream goal, if we can actually get it into like, not the short film, because we don't really submit short films to like festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we like, once we make the feature, if we can get that into a festival too, because we know contacts at like Slamdance and Sundance, like our feature film that our first one, 
that one, like the, it almost made it into, uh, I can't remember whether, whether it was slam dance or Sundance, but like one of the people there, they were so mad that he got up and walked out of the room that they didn't let our submission, our movie into the festival because he loved it so much. (laughs) And like he said, like, Hey, if you have your next, like any feature film you make, just send it my way. And I want to be one of the first people you contact after it's done. And so we're going to send it that way and try to like, if we can get into a film festival and like get it out there for people to see. That'd be awesome. That'd be our like biggest dream for it. You know, that's cool, man. So like you, your goal ultimately is just, uh, is film festival runs. with it. Yeah. Film festival runs. And like we did that with our first feature and we really loved it. And Hey, we haven't done a film festival run in a while. We kind of helped other people with their feature films and worked on them, like edited them together and stuff. And, um, so we're going to do the film festival circuit. And, and then what is the goal of the film fest? Is that the end goal? Is it like, what would the goal of, of being in the film festivals be? Um, obviously try to get some di- distribution. Okay. Um, so distribution is distribution is the goal then. Yeah. Okay. I mean, like get it out there. I mean, anything above actually making the film is like a plus to us. Like just making it, I guess. I'm saying a lot of end goals for you. So hopefully you can follow this. Well, no, no, but- no. This is, this is interesting. No, no, no. And, and bear with me as I sort of plug away and peel away at this a little bit, because these are yeah. questions that a lot of folks have. Um, yeah. and this is how my brain currently works. So, so you want to make this film because you guys are obviously, so this film seems like it's born out of creative frustration, right? Am I getting that mm-hmm. right? Yes. So, so like definitely. you guys are like, we got to fucking do something. I get that. I'm feeling that right now. I am too. got to fucking make something right. And that's my, my notion is like, I got to fucking do something. Okay, great. And I think that the idea of you guys doing, uh, a proof of concept is smart. Now I would ask, what is the purpose of the proof of concept? What do you guys want to do with that proof of concept? Is that just to prove to you guys that the idea plays out or is there another goal for the proof of concept? It's more for us to know that we like, because there's a bunch of variables in this film, like, can we is this like TV screen on some dude's head or um, we haven't, don't know, haven't decided whether it's a guy or a woman as the lead. Uh-huh. Um, like, it, it, is this TV screen on someone's head? Is this going to work? Like, is this going to play well on camera? Is the audience going to feel the emotion that we need, that we want this person to feel? And so it's more of a proof of concept for us. Like, Hey, before we go shoot this feature length film, is this feature length film going to make sense by the end of it? Okay. Um, I, I totally get that. Totally understand like, it. Like with our very, very first feature, like we learned to like a proof of concept is a good idea because our first feature, we barely missed. I I can always forget, but like one of our main characters doesn't really have like a good arc. There's not, we missed, he just was one of, I can't remember what trope, trope it is in movies, but like he's kind of just a stagnant character. And if we would have given him an arc or a personality, mm-hmm. our movie would have, like a lot of film festivals were like, you know, if this character would just been a little bit better, you would have made it in like easily. Mm-hmm. And we learned that like, oh, we didn't even think about having him have giving him an arc. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. we didn't know how that was going to play on screen. And so now we're like, oh, we probably should do like even a mini proof of concept, especially if we're putting our own money into it. Um, like to help us out to make sure that we're kind of on the right path. I, dude, I think it's great. And let me try to give you, if you if you want it, you can say, Mike, I don't care. But <laughs> let me try to give you a little bit more things to think about as you're processing this proof of concept and as you're processing this stuff. 
So the reason why I was asking where you, what your end goals were, like if your end goal is to get some form of distribution, right? Picturing this movie in your head right now, and these answers don't have to be your final answers, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, where would you see this movie in its best form distributed? Oh, that's that's a deep question. Yeah, I don't really, I don't really know. Um, is is it is it like a is it a shutter thing? Is there enough horror elements that it that it ends up on like a shutter network? Is it would it even find the light of day on a Netflix? Would it um, be on uh, like a Tubi or some sort of like weird like? Where do you think that this would go as as, as a distributor? Um, if I'm so to be honest, I feel like if I'm being real with myself as an, a distribution um, level, it yeah. would probably end up on a Tubi type of thing. Um, and why? Why do you think it would end up on a Tubi type of thing? Um, just because, like, I understand, like, just from a filmmaking standpoint, and like learning through trying to pitch these other films, like the just the ability to get on um like a netflix like that would be a dream like get on netflix or amazon okay. prime that would be amazing but like sure. just to get through the doors and to get your movie in there is such a hard feat like like thing to overcome and for us being still very much no names in the film industry although we've had many years of experiences we've worked on plenty of feature films with other people mm -hmm. um just getting like our name alone won't get us anything and it would have to be a masterpiece of a film and with a bunch of luck to get into those areas. Okay. Okay. And so, right, like, hold, hold on. Let me stop you. Let me stop you. you. One second. Um, because I've done the same thing that you're doing right now. So what you're doing is you're already cutting off the legs on your film based upon your insecurities of your past experience of getting movies out there. So, You've said that it would require luck. And with our experiences, we'd have trouble doing this. It's not the type of thing that would get into Netflix. So you've already handicapped it by saying all those things. But you did say that it would be the ultimate dream to get a movie like that on Netflix. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that you guys could definitely get it on Netflix. If you think about and you process the elements that would get it seen by Netflix, and if you are thinking that way, then you're going like, all right, is this concept with a guy with a TV on his head enough? Is he a character within something that makes it appealing for it to go on Netflix? And is he interacting with different characters that empower him, empower this person or her, or whoever it is that's wearing a TV to do that way? Then if you break that down and you actually start to think about those elements, then you go all the way down to your proof of concept. Now, I think the reason why you're doing your proof of concept is smart. You guys are testing your skills, shaking the rust off, running through these things to see if this idea and this treatment works really well. I get that. That's 100% why you should do it. But if you now know that... If you examine what you what what Netflix is looking for, which at the end of the day, let's be 100% on this. It's name talent. It's mm -hmm. name talent. 
it's it's something that's interesting on the thumbnail that gets lined up in a sea of other fucking thumbnails that people are going to click on. So it's getting somebody in the piece that they can recognize first and foremost. And then second, looking at the trends that exist on Instagram and on not Instagram on Netflix and what's happening, maybe that can be incorporated in, in as well. It's always dangerous to chase that because trends change so quickly. But so yeah. if, if you think that way, right, mm -hmm. then make a proof of concept for two reasons. One, to test your theories and see if it works. But two, with the idea of getting the interest of main talent for it. Making yeah. it interesting for that main talent. Because then what you can be doing, even if you guys are self-financing this entire thing, um, you can be using that proof of concept to send to talent to convince them to be in it. And the, the thing that will convince talent to be in it is, uh, your vision is pretty strong, your idea is really strong, and your technique's really strong, and you're passionate about it. Yeah, and that makes sense, and that's very, thank you for the advice, too. And <laughs> I, Not to throw advice at you, but like that, no. that, that was my first thought, is you sort of, it's, sort of talked about this. It's like, okay, well, why not take advantage of that? Yeah. You know? And like, yeah, because like, I... I mean, I welcome advice from other people, especially like that's, I think we've talked about this a lot. It's just like, um, this is why we talk to other filmmakers is to learn from other people's experiences. Like you've obviously had experiences like this, that, so you have advice to give to me to help us out on this proof of concept type of thing for our film. And it, it does help, uh, help me and will help my other, my two brothers as we kind of create this, like thinking about down the road, like well, what would these investors or, or distributor distributors like be interested in? Like things like that. And that's something definitely to take into account as we write and script this short proof of concept. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I mean, and, and then this, I guess what I'm, what I'm offering to you when I say those things is I'm giving you, you know, how old are you at this point? I'm 30. You're 30. My, okay. My brothers are... I think one's 39 and 40. Okay, good. So they're about my age. So like, yeah. like it's that time in like mm -hmm. at this point, I'm king of the fucking proof of concepts. <laughs> like I've done enough proof of con with the proof of concepts. I've, I've been in Ridley Scott's offices. I've, I've done all that stuff. So, and I know how far proof of concept can take you. And I know what halts proof of concepts at this mm -hmm. point. And so you really, if you're going to do any of this stuff, and this is maybe me projecting some of my insecurities on your idea. Um, it's like, this is the mode that I'm in right now where if I'm going to get started on anything, I know how long it's going to take. I know how many years it's going to fucking take out of my life. I know, I know all of those things. And so like, if I'm going to get started on anything right now, I need to, to just be hundred percent focused on all the other things that I've done, learn from all those other things that I've done and make sure that this thing that I'm doing next is pushing me through the next level of fucking glass ceiling that continuously holds us back. You know what yeah. I'm saying? No, I, I, I definitely understand what you're saying. Not to put stress on your piece and not to, you know, not to give you my anxieties. 
<laughs> no, none at all. I have none of your anxieties. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I got you. <laughs> I, I So I, I, we should probably wrap this episode up, but I'm sure you're sitting there in a whirlwind going like, I had no idea that this is what we were going to talk about today. <laughs> well, no. And I think that's, it was kind of fun too. Cause like I've done a couple other podcasts. Um, mm-hmm. I've been on a few other people's and it's like, um, like you kind of, sometimes you have a little structure and I, like, as you saw, I kind of sent you. Yeah. Some- you're one of the few guests that sent me a structure of like, this is what I think we should talk about in the show. And I'm like, oh no, no. <laughs> no. And like, and I send that structure just like, here, you can follow this. Like it might be good. You don't have to follow any of it. Uh-huh. And, um, and some, and most times people don't, but it's like, and sometimes do we have a specific topic that we're talking about to kind of like they, that's what they like their podcast. They like, we talk about this topic and we're going to only talk about that topic and <laughs> it's fine. And it's like, it's really nice. Like, you know, you're what you're talking about. You can kind of prepare some stuff. And, but for yours, like, I, re- I remember like, I have no idea what we're talking about for this thing. <laughs> I have Dude. no idea how to prepare. Like I, I literally got to be on my A game and ready to answer any question that's thrown my way and hope it goes well. And I, th- and it was kind of fun. Dude, it did. Well. Hey, look, it went well. And I, I think that, you know, um, I did my prep as far as I checked out all your stuff. But I think that the thing that I like about this show, uh, doing this show, is that it's conversation based. And yeah, when this is like if you and I were sitting at a bar or if you and I were ordered some food and we're hanging out at a table, this is what the conversation would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that about it because it just feels more real. It doesn't feel like we're selling things to the audience because we're not. Who gives a fuck? Like, you're not here yeah. to promote anything, really. Um, and I was just fascinated with uh, the fact that you guys were also trying to do an online school, and I wanted to get to the roots of that, and I wanted to sort of uh, subconsciously flush you out because I, you know, because I, I, you and I really haven't met other than having a couple conversations. Mm-hmm. And, and so I wanted to find out if you're, if you're cool, if you're legit. If, you don't want to make you want to make sure I'm not a dirtbag. It's pretty much it, man. I'm being really nice by saying that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I dig you, man. You're cool. I I, I like your honesty. I like your stuff. And um, and uh, I like um, I I want to see you guys succeed. And I want to see you guys be successful. And um, if there's anything that I can ever help you guys with, if you ever need advice on anything, just let me know, man. Like uh, doors are open. And uh, yeah, I likewise to you. Thanks, bro. My my thirty years of advice I can give to your forty three years of advice, dude. Hundred percent. <laughs> there's there's no reason to be insecure about that stuff because you've done things differently and you've had different experiences than I have. So you bet your fucking ass. You know you're going to know uh, things that I haven't done, and, and it's valuable to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think once we cr- <laughs> once we cross the age of twenty one, it's a level playing field for me because then at that point everybody's attempting to be an adult. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and so I get advice from younger folks consistently where they've gone off and done a different path. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's fascinating. And then all I'm doing with this show and even our conversation when I was giving you that advice at the end there, it's just I've got this footstool of my experiences where I'm like, just step on this thing and see if you can go further. So just climb up on these three fucking rungs and see if it's better up there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I got you. So that's kind of the deal. Um, whatever. We've done this. has been a long episode. Yeah. Uh, it's probably the longest one I've ever been a part of. This has been, <laughs> um, I think two hours. Yes, we're rocking it too. I should wrap it up, man. Um, it's been really great talking to you, my friend. 
Yeah. It's been great talking to you. And is there anything you want to promote? Um, so I, I mentioned this to you in an email to you. Um, if any one of your listeners, cause along with our online course, we do have like work, not worksheets. That's a bad word. A guide. I can, I'm offering a guide to any of your listeners or anyone who is listening to this, that if they go to, you can put in your show notes as well. I'll send it to you, the link, mm-hmm. but it's called it's film creator pro, um, which is our online course. So filmcreatorpro.com slash handbook. We're anyone that goes there can download this free 12 page. I call it a guide. It's basically a cheat, like 12 cheat sheets on like the basics of camera gear, like how to get the right exposure, like Mm -hmm. what aperture to use camera angles. It's very, very basic. Um, but it was something that when I first started out, I wish like some of these things I would have had on my cell phone because Mm -hmm. specifically an example that I always use is the aperture on a camera to this day, like I'm dyslexic. And so I get numbers mixed up in my head all the time. And like when you're talking about an aperture, when you have a very closed aperture, so which is like an F22 or a, or a T22 or whatever, depending mm-hmm. on what lenses you're losing, using, that means your aperture is really closed. But in my mind, I feel like that should mean if it has a big number, it should be really wide open. Mm-hmm. And so it's like always backwards to me. And I'm like, it's, even to this day, I still get confused. And when I was first starting out, I never could get it right. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's things like that, like little things that I wish I would have known um, when I was starting out. And like, some, when you're out on set, you can't go to a computer and be like, what does a histogram do? Or what does it mean? <laughs> yeah. And so some, it would be nice to have like a little chart on your phone. Like, okay, cool. I mean, Google, you can look that stuff up. But like, if you have a whole like little guide, you're like, you can just hurry and flip through. And like, I know I was on page six on your phone, you're like, okay, cool. There's a Instagram. That's what it means to be underexposed. That's what it means to be overexposed. And you can instantly know. And so it's just something like that. And anyone that wants to can go download it. Normally we sell it for like 50 bucks and we're giving it away for you guys for like free. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's valuable. I'm actually flipping through it while we're talking right now. And you're right. It's actually a really good uh, thing to have in your back pocket, especially if you're you know, like this is something that I wish I had when I was like, you know, two or three years in. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Where you're just like, you're, you haven't found your rhythms yet. Yeah. And I think this will help you figure out your rhythms with the camera. It's actually pretty useful. And that's really great that you guys are giving another way to the audience. We'll be sure to put that in the description of this episode. Um, well, dude, thanks so much for being on, man. Yeah, no problem. There it is. Today's episode in the can. Um, hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, I just, (laughs) I just apologized, uh, to our guest off camera, uh, or off mic. Uh, once again, Taylor, thanks for being a good sport. And, uh, he had a great time. He, uh, was uh, very excited about actually speaking the truth. You know what it is? When you do these uh, podcasts, when you do most podcasts and you go out there and you, you're, you're promoting things or you're doing press for things or maybe you read somewhere like I should go do a podcast and that'll help me do this, some, some sort of stuff, you end up uh, with a script, right? You end up with the stuff that you're going to talk about, standard stories, stock stories. Like when I get pulled on other people's podcasts, they want to hear about the head injury story. So like you'll hear that story come out of me. And you'll hear me say that story a bunch of different times in a bunch of different ways. 
And if the show's not giving me anything, if the hosts aren't giving me anything as a guest, then I'll just sort of fall back on a script. And uh, what I try to do on this show is break that. Just break it. Because what, what the fuck is the difference? Like, why not go listen to the other filmmakers podcast that that guy was on last week, right? If it's going to be the same shit. But if you're coming on my show, I guarantee you, if I feel like we start to hit a rhythm, I'm going to break it. I'm going to break it and start talking about the real shit because that's what this is. Why else am I doing it? You know? And so um, sometimes it's abrupt. Sometimes it can be aggressive. Um, and, uh, and I felt bad for Taylor for a minute because I was triggered. And if you listen to the opening of the episode, you understand why I was triggered. And I wanted to get to the nitty gritty of this. Who are these guys? What are they doing? Why are they doing in film school? And after this this episode, I get it. And I think you do too. I think you understand why they're doing it. I think you understand their intentions. I think you understand that they're good dudes and they're trying to figure it out. And they're trying to make their way in this business. And there's a lesson to be learned from that. I think as we listen to these guys find their success and find their rhythms and to figure this stuff out, you understand if you're going through some tough times or if you're not the person shooting all the time or doing stuff, it's okay. Because the people that you think are doing better than you are, aren't. And then as you start to examine this whole thing, maybe many of you are going to ask yourself the serious question. Is this something I really want to get into? Is this a business that I want to get into? Because it's incredibly volatile. It's incredibly emotionally destructive. Um, and it puts you through the paces. And so then if you're asking yourself those questions, then you're like, why am I driven to this? Why is it that I want to do it? I don't have those answers for you. And those answers are going to change. I've worked with folks that have gone into it because they're incredibly passionate and they're really interested in making filmmaking, but then life happens, right? Uh, maybe you uh, end up diagnosed with something that requires good health insurance. Maybe you get meet the love of your life and that person has other plans. And, and part of being in a great relationship is that it's two people in that relationship and maybe they want kids. Maybe you want kids. Maybe you want a house. Maybe you're starting to fall back on the realities of what it is that you need to be happy in life and they don't line up with filmmaking. This happens all the time. And so just be aware of what this business is like before you get into it. And while you're into it, because there's so many of you listening that are like, Mike, we've already made the jump. <laughs> you're like me, where someone goes, well, what else can you do? I'm unqualified to do anything else. So this is what I'm doing. Um, well, hopefully this helps you get through those depressions. And hopefully this helps you respect and love the highs, right? Because that's what we, that's our job, man. That's our job. And I'm very fortunate to be in a situation where I can do this job. I'm very fortunate to have done some great stuff. Um, but that stuff doesn't guarantee me the next gig. It really doesn't. And I'm very fortunate to be in a loving relationship with somebody who also loves to do this stuff. And that also understands this job. And we both go through, and she's walking by right now with her little, her little slippers. Yeah, I heard those little crunchers. And, uh, you know, how's life for you right now? Good. Yeah. You feeling good? Yeah. Getting some work? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, man. You know, it's nice. We all go through this stuff. And that, like, I hope you guys feel safe here. When you listen to the show, I hope you guys feel uh, comfortable and confident to be able to talk about what's really going on with your friends, what's really going on emotionally um, with this job. And uh, I get it. You know, we got to make ourselves look like hot shit sometimes. The clients need that. Like, oh, my God, you're working all the time. Great. Let them think that. Let them think that. But don't buy into it as a fellow filmmaker, right? Just know that that's what we got to do. They can all think that we're hot shits. Yeah. Yeah, everything's fucking, you know, roses right now, right? I've, I've shot like ah, three things this week. Um, I just got off a private jet. And, uh, you know, I just worked with a technocrane. And um, you would not believe the food and the leisure experience that I just had. Um, and then with all of my income... I'm able to go on uh, four vacations this year. That's great. Use that to get your jobs. But as a fellow filmmaker, just understand that that's what that is. And please, if you learn anything from this episode, please be wary of people that are trying to charge you and teach you things. As I hope I've made it incredibly transparent, um, as of now... I'm not making money on you guys. I'm not charging you for anything. There's going to hit a point when we cross 200 episodes where I'm seriously considering putting the first 100 episodes behind a paywall. <laughs> That's not going to make me millions of dollars. That's literally going to just help me pay for hosting fees. Right? So let's be real. I'm going to try to make my money on the show off of the advertisers, off of the sponsors, and I will consistently be looking for people that I believe in and that I trust, and that I put out there. Okay, I'm going to try to make that the thing. I'm going to try to make that the thing. Um, just to make this a safe place. Okay? Um, and so when you're looking online, and you're looking for an answer, and you're feeling insecure, just check yourself. Gina says this to me all the time, which is, I appreciate. I'm not allowed to talk about work after 9 o'clock at night. And it's usually right around then where I start to get depressed. Like I'll watch something on TV and go, why the fuck did this show get made? Why should it get made? Well, there'll be something that happens and then I start to get fall into a spiral of like, what have I done today? What did I do this week? What has this been? And Gina's like, you know, I don't think about work after nine. I love that. That helps a lot. She just gave me a thumbs up. What kind of trash are you eating over there? We live healthy lives here. This is the reality. Gina's in slippers and a robe in front of her computer, sending out masses emails, eating Velveeta and salami in a wrap that she just toasted. Okay, there it is. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed the show. And uh, as always, I will catch you next Tuesday.